You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 676. I'm happy to do anything on a film set. Nick Frost. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Enjoy today's episode with guest host Jason Buff. We're continuing our interviews with horror filmmakers with Danny Draven. Um, this is one of, this, this is like a master class in horror filmmaking. Danny is not only a horror filmmaker, but he's also the author of the phenomenal horror filmmaking book called The Filmmaker's Book of the Dead. And it's now in its second edition. If you want to learn filmmaking, horror filmmaking uh, specifically, go get that. I think it's available on Amazon. Um, check it out it's full of pictures it's it's really like over the top in terms of like all the the value all the great things that are in this book let me get going with danny this is a huge uh interview um about two hours so i was going to break it up into two different um episodes and i just decided to go ahead and um put it out there as one and and you can kind of listen to the first half when you have time or maybe if you have a two-hour car drive or or something you're going to get a lot out of this episode i certainly did um and learn a lot about how the indie film making world works especially the indie horror film work so check it out hope you enjoy like i i have all these questions that i've just been coming up with on my own but what i was thinking we could do was just kind of go through the different um parts of the first book just, I mean, going strictly on the um, uh, the table of contents and just kind of do a brief description of kind of those different aspects of making a horror film and then just kind of go from there, you know, and just use that as the framework. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously, sure. I don't want you to go, you know, so far into it. I mean, the thing that I found is that usually the more into it you get, the more interested people get in, you know, buying the book and like, you know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I, I did have one guy I talked to not too long ago who was like, yeah, um, you know, if you read my book, I'll tell you all about that. You know, I was like, come on, dude. Give me yeah, something. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear, I hear you. No, totally. I, I'm happy to, 
I don't, I don't do that. I just, you just ask me whatever you want and I'll tell you whatever I can, whatever comes to mind, you know, if they buy the book, great. If not, it doesn't, you know, <laughs> when, I, when I get a $20 royalty check in the mail, it doesn't, you know, it's not about the money. So uh, it, it really isn't. But this, this book, um, that this, the, the first edition is actually very simple. I mean, the second edition is just enhancements to the first. So the, 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 it's only, you know, it's about a hundred and I don't know, a hundred and forty pages more than the first edition. And a lot of that is just newer interviews and a lot of the information has been updated. So the chapters are all really the same. I only think I only added really one. It's just the information was updated considerably because it was out of date because it was five years old. But, um, right. and, and, and a lot of new, really good interviews with people like Nick Garris and, and Kane Hodder and all these other dudes. And so it was, which is just pretty much the big difference. And, and it's got a, a really good um, overhaul as far as like a lot more artwork was added, like a lot of really cool, like grindhouse art just, just for eye candy, really. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. that. So it's a, it's a fun, it's a, it's the, it is by far the, the definitive best edition of that book and probably the last. Um, and, it, and, it, and it'll, and it'll has a hardcover edition, which is, which is really cool. I mean, it's a little, it's kind of expensive, but it's, they do have a hardcover one that, which is kind right. of cool for a, but, but anyway, yeah, so it's, it's, so whatever we, whatever we talk about with the book, it's, it's very similar to the second. It's just uh, more updated as all. Well, I mean, that might be a good jumping in point. What, what, um, do you consider the major things that have changed from the first book to the second book? Um, well, technology and distribution mainly because, you know, the film, filmmaking process is really still, it has been kind of the same for, you know, a hundred years. It's just, you know, that just the technology has, has, has changed, uh, uh, to the point, you know, where, um, p- particularly in my, in my book, it has to do what I changed was the distribution, uh, chapters, which that's different with digital distribution and, and everything. And, uh, and particularly, uh, uh, some of the stuff in the production because, we, because the cameras have gotten <laughs> better, bigger, smaller, and shoot higher, <laughs> higher quality, right. you know? So yeah. I think, it's just mainly the technology uh, stuff in the book is, is is the biggest update and um and the interviews because I added about oh I don't know maybe ten people I think but I mean I I mean they're really good interviews because these guys are working professional filmmakers I mean I got uh, Mick Garris and I sat down and had a great lunch and we just we he we had this like two hour interview and I think in the book it's like eight nine pages in, in there really good insightful questions I had a an awesome, awesome interview with a uh, uh, big time composer, John Ottman and editor. We, and that's a, like a 10 page interview is really good though. Uh, and uh, John Debney, the composer, John Debney and uh, T-Board Takis, the guy who directed the gate and spiders 3d. And he did a really good one too. Cause I, I know him, I edited a movie for him years ago for sci-fi channel. And uh, I remember when I was editing it with him, he, uh, he was checking his phone and he was making mega snake at the time. And, and he was showing me some of his story. <laughs> he was showing, he was showing me some of his storyboards. And I was like, cause we were just sitting in the editing room. I'm like, Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, this, this is pretty cool storyboards. So then like literally like, well, I don't know. It's eight years later when I decided to interview him, I was like, Hey man, do you still have those mega snake storyboards? Cause that would be, those things are really well done. And I, I should put those in the book. And so, so that the, there's this one scene where the snake eats this guy and it's the exact storyboards that they did for the show, for the film. So you get his interview and then you get like, you know, six pages of these really beautiful storyboards that they did for it. And then you get the some frame grabs from the movie when, how they actually shot it. And, oh, that's uh, cool. 
and yeah, just stuff like that. I got a really good interview with uh, uh, some other producers, uh, Mark Ordesky and Jane Fleming from, they did, um, um, exists, you know, the big, big foot movie that Eduardo Sanchez did. They, they were producers on that. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, there's, uh, uh, Mike Mendez. He's in there now, uh, director of big ass spider. And, uh, all right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a great guy. And, um, oh boy, uh, Kane Hodder, Michael Berryman. Um, and I know I'm, I think I'm probably missing a few people, but, <laughs> but, but anyway, it's, it, it's, it, it, it's one of the things people, one of the things that people really enjoyed about this book is, is the interviews, especially from the first edition. The, um, I mean, all the information there is, is, is great anyway, but, but the interviews really kind of drove it home for people because you're, you're, you're hearing really good, uh, advice from people who are actually, you know, working out and working professionals in Hollywood. Right. Um, so it, 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 uh, it was a favorite in the first edition. So I decided in the second one, I just want to add a lot more. So that's what we did. Do you have the same interviews from the first book as well, or is it yes. like, okay. Yes. No, all, cause I know all, you interviewed James the, Wan in the first book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. He's still, he's still in there. Um, all the <laughs> I think you want to keep him in there. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I, I interviewed, actually I interviewed him, um, uh, before he, you know, back when he was making like, um, I think it was, uh, the first insidious or something like that. It was a while ago when we, when we talked about it. Right. Um, so it's, he did a really good interview and uh, everybody's the same. It's uh, it's I think I, I had to remove one person because it was just what they were talking about was like so outdated that I just had to get removed. But other than that, it's all the right. same people plus, you know, 10 or 12 people that I've added. So yeah. is there anything that kind of sticks out at you like something that just kind of blew your mind with an interview or somebody who just kind of like, you know, said something to you that you didn't really know beforehand or, or I don't know, just kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes you talk to one of these filmmakers and it's just like, Oh wow. You know, that's something. Yeah, that surely. Really- we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, and we, I mean, when you, when, when like, um, I talking to, when I was talking to say, uh, like somebody like Mick Garris or somebody and I'm asking him specific questions about how he, how he directs actors and what his process is like and all that stuff. Uh-huh. I mean, it's different for everyone, you know, right. but, but you know, his, his answers were, were, were very insightful and, uh, and you know, not, not all of them made him into the book, but the ones that did, I thought were the, were the most insightful ones. And it just, it's just really, um, even, even as the, the interviewer, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, Oh wow, I did. That's, that's interesting. That's how you do. That's how he works. And, and then I see how, how, how somebody like, um, uh, Tibor works or some, or, or, uh, or, or what, what Kane Hodder was thinking when he, when he, um, decided to, to, uh, uh, play the character of Jason and what he did to make it a scary character. And he would answer that question and, and, right. and you know, things like that. Cause the guys, usually the guys like Kane Hodder and even Robert England and, um, Michael Berryman and all the guys that have played, uh, you know, monsters, I always ask them what their process was like as an actor to really develop that character. It's because it, it's all great horror movie monsters are more than just, you know, a guy sticking a mask on or a guy in a glove. There's a lot more behind it. And to understand their process was, uh, was very insightful. And, and that's what I, that's what I think you get when you read these interviews in this book is you really see like, wow, Robert England really, you know, he really had a method to how he, 
portrayed Freddy, you know, or, or mm-hmm. J- and, and same thing with Jason and same thing with Pluto, uh, and, uh, Hills have eyes, you know, and all that stuff. So, so it's, 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 it's a good, it's a, it's a fun conversation. It's just kind of like two guys out, you know, sitting at a bar, having a beer, talking about their making movies. And that's kind of the, the style of the, of the interview. But, um, right. Can you I, share I a little bit about of that? Like what, what, you uh, know, or just the, the whole concept of directing, actors in a you know horror movie whether it be the the good guys or the monsters or whatever um the the whole idea of of uh of directing the monsters for for oh sorry what do you what do you mean like the uh well what is your approach what and and what what did you learn from these people what is your approach and what are some things that you've learned from talking to directors about directing um you know monsters or directing actors in general Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, well, I think, I think it's, 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 it's certainly going to be different for every director, but I think, um, instinct has a lot to do with it, you know, uh, when, when, when directing actors, you know, uh, it's, it's instinctual. It's, uh, um, it's, it's trying, you know, not, not my styles. I'm, I'm very much like an actor's director, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I, I don't, I mean, I have the technical background, no doubt, you know, because I own a post company and I've been an editor for, I've edited more movies than I care to remember. Um, but, but when you combine the sort of technical background with the actors, uh, when you, and you understand actors, I think it really can make you a, a very strong director. Cause a lot of people, they come out of film school or they come out of, they get into their first film and they, they, they're, they're, they're scared of actors and they're scared of, um, um, uh, of the of, of the the process it's kind of like okay we'll just they just talk to an actor like they're a, like they're a they're a, a puppet like okay you will you say this line and you stand here and then you walk over here and then the camera's going to push into your face and and then you're going to walk off screen okay you got it and then the actor's like oh okay and then you know they can they can you know do it do what you're talking about but that you know that's not really directing you know that's mm-hmm. just technically you know <laughs> you're choreographing the scene you're just blocking the scene at that point so um so you know, it, my process has always been um, to to really uh, take care with the actors and to really um, you know spend a lot of time with them and and just be there for whatever they need because you know and 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 give them what they need from a director so like they can play the scene properly and uh, and uh, and have the technical understanding to communicate that to the crew and to the mm-hmm. DP. Um, so that's my pro- that's my process. It's kind of you know a little of both. Um, some people are just completely technical, you know, it's just like they hire, you know, you know, certainly it's always good to hire the best actors you can afford. Um, and you just kind of, most of the time you hire an actor of that caliber that you don't, they don't need to do much at all. It's just sit back and watch it happen. Cause they're so, um, amazing and they get it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and other times, you know, they need a lot more and they do need that push and that technical, uh, 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 direction, you know, maybe, maybe it's their first film. They don't know how to hit a mark, you know? Uh, so, so yeah. So what do you do if you get in a situation where you've hired somebody and everybody's there, you know, the whole crew and everything's lit and the actor just isn't giving the right performance or it's just not working. Is there any like trick you have or what, what goes through your mind as a director? Oh, well, well, I think if, if everything, you look, if you're on the set, everything's lit and the, da- the actor's coming out and it's, um, a lot of times it's the first time you, a lot of times there's no chance, especially in low budget movies, there's, there wasn't really any rehearsal. It's, it's, uh, 
it is the first time that you're doing the scene. <laughs> and uh, what sounded good on what, what sounded good on paper, what sounded good in your head is certainly not what's happening. Uh-huh. And um, so, you know, you get there and you, you see him do it and you're like, oh, oh, Jesus. You know, I, I mean, I've been I've been in situations where I'm like, I, I was like, I don't I don't even think we cast the right person. <laughs> you know? So so then you're so then you're like, oh, man. OK, but but, you know, what are you going to do? You're, you're already hired and they're there in front of you. You're, you got crew and everybody there and you you're kind of like, yeah, he probably wasn't the right choice. But mm, this is what I have to work with. So let's let's do the best we can with what we have. You know, so I mean, I've been, definitely been in that situation. Um, but um, I think, you know, if, if you're in a situation where they're, where they're not, an actor's not giving you what they want, the best thing to do is to, um, pull them aside, you know, don't talk in front of the whole crew, but to pull them aside, talk, you know, and, and, and talk to them about what you're certainly do, do you know, do, don't criticize, don't yell, don't be an, an ass, <laughs> but is to, to set the person aside and just tell them what you're looking for in the scene. And, don't over direct them. Just tell them what the intention is in the scene, what, what, how their characters relate to one another, maybe, uh, what, what the scene is about, you know, um, and let the actor be the one that interprets what you're saying and, um, and adjust their performance based on what, uh, based on that. The worst thing you can do is to go up to an actor and give them a line read. No, I want you to say the line like, like this. <laughs> you know, or, or, I mean, right. the actor looking at you like you little douchebag. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, it, not, they're not they're not puppets. You know, they're not marionettes. You know, they're not people that you can just you know program. You know, um, so a, a good direct thing is 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 um, just really understanding the process, their their process, respecting their process, and uh, being able to communicate to them in the actor's language. And if you can do that. You're, you, you'll be, you know, you'll, you, the, one, one, the actors will love you forever. And two, you're going to, you're going to have a, you're going to have a great performance. And the worst thing you could do in that situation is to, is to try to go out there and act it for them. It's like, no, okay, let me show you how to do it. And then you go, no, you come over here. And then you say this line, you say it like this, and then you turn around. You know what I mean? It's like, right. it, it, that's not, that's not how it goes. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess that would be my sort of, advice for 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 handling a situation like that okay now um you know this the podcast is primarily geared towards people who are most likely outside of la and and want to make their own feature film and a lot of people Mm -hmm. you know and i i also think that one of the best ways to get into the industry and have one feature you know that actually has some success financially is to try and make you know a horror film just because there's a built-in audience and there's oh, you know yeah. mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need the biggest stars and everything so mm-hmm. what i was hoping sure. we could do is just kind of walk through the process of where things begin what you need to get started you know maybe more right. towards the producer's side of it you know when you're coming up sure. with a project i mean how much are you do you go to like somebody in distribution and like pitch ideas or how does it all work so that you know that at the end of the whole thing, you're going to know kind of where that production is going to go? Well, that's a great question. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, every, every pro every project that you do, I mean, look, if you're, if it's your first, one, one thing you have to understand if you're, if you're getting into film and filmmaking and period is you have to understand that it is business. You know, it's a, it, it's a, it, you know, you're they're, you're making a, a picture to to get to, with the intention of, of of it being seen. It's a business. It has to be something marketable and sellable and 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 uh, of high quality. 
Um, if you're now, if you're coming out, if you're doing something on your own and, and you want to do like a little movie that you're, you, it's just for yourself and maybe it's an art piece or something like that, that's fine. And you can do whatever you want. But, uh, in, in my, in my book and the stuff that I'll, I'll talk to you about today is from a, a, an entertainment perspective from a business perspective of, of, of if we're making a movie, we're making it. Yeah. We're making a movie to tell a great story. We're making a movie to, to make a cool movie that all that is there, but we're also making a movie that it, it, we're able, we're going to be able to get distributed and seen because at the end of the day, we want people to see and like our work and, 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 and uh, hopefully make sequels, you know, after sequel. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, so, w- with that in mind, you know, you the, you know, always think that you're, you're you know, it, remember that it is a business. So, start out with um, something that um, you know, a horror is a great genre to start in, no doubt, because it's a it's kind of an evergreen genre. It's it, it's something that has, it is always. Uh, has always been successful uh, at, at the box office. I mean, um, you know, whether people, you know, turn their nose up, up to it or, or not, the, the, the fact is, is that horror does extremely well at the box office. Um, and, you know, that can be seen with movies like The Conjuring or, um, you know, uh, how many other horror movies that have come out that have just really done well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, if you're if you're starting out, I, I think that um, coming up with a one an original great concept uh, to, to to start with, and um, you don't you don't have to. Um, it's it's a, it is a good idea to think about distribution and think about wh- what you're what where you're going to go with it. You know, um, early mm-hmm. on. Because you don't want to get too too far into to, to pre-production or production and start not even knowing what genre you're in. You're kind of like, well, I'm not sure. It could be a horror comedy. It could be a comedy. It could be just horror. You really want to have a definitive plan. Okay, we're making a low-budget slasher film. We're making a zombie comedy. Okay, and then you and then you know what you're 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 making. You do your research. You do your homework. You watch. You, you see all the films that have been made uh, on that subject. Who, who, who they've been distributed by. That sort of thing. Um, and you, and you just, you, you, you really come up with, uh, you really know what's out there and what the market's like. And, uh, um, and, and you make, and you make the film, you know, I mean, you, um, now what, let me know, ask it, one quick for, question. Sure. sure just, sure. just, um, out of curiosity is the primary, where's the primary place that you do research of that nature? Is it IMDB or is it just, you know, do you have some other place that you see, you know, mm-hmm. all the different horror films that are releasing, how much, you know, who's the distribution company and all that? Is it just IMDB or is it, you know, somewhere else that you look for that? Well, there's a lot of places that you can look, especially with the internet. I mean, you certainly the IMDB is a great resource. Um, you, you know, read, the, you know, read the trades. You know, look, I mean, I read the trades. I read, you know, Hollywood Reporter and Variety, you know, you know, mm-hmm. who's making what they're making, what, what, who's, who's remaking what, you know, coming down the, the line, even from the studio level. Um, you, there's a home media magazine. That's a really great resource to see like kind of what's coming out on DVD, what's coming out on Blu-ray. Um, you know, that's a good one to read and see what's performing well, what's, you know, on home video, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and, and, and the internet and IMDb, I mean, those are really, you don't think you need to need to get, you don't need to go crazy with it, but you know, if you just get an idea <laughs> of, 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 okay, are there any zombie movies coming out anytime soon? Or, what, you know, what, what's, how are they doing? And is it, uh, you know, are they, are they being distributed? And if they are, who buy, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, you just do, do, do your research before you go out and, uh, 
and make one because um, if there's if there's something coming out or some some other guy and it happens so so often, so many people are making movies. It's like, oh, that guy made that one. It's just like mine. Damn it, you know. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's so you know, it happens, but it's a good it's it's good to to have more than one idea too. So if if you if you're like, well, maybe it's not a good time. We could make the film, but maybe it's not a good time to make it right now. You know, maybe we'll make it like next year, and in the meantime, we'll make this other f- project that we had uh, in, in mind. You know, and let let the let let it, let the let it cool off because I mean, you know, if that if the movie comes out and and everybody hates that that subgenre of horror, I mean, I mean, you know, then you know, probably not a good idea to go out and make another found footage movie. You know, um, right? <laughs> so I mean, look, I mean, I made a found footage film, and the whole and honestly, the whole reason we made that, I didn't want to make a found footage film. I didn't, I never intended on making a found footage film. You know, not not I. It was just it actually was a project that came to me, and um, it was like. Hey, we need to make a found footage film. And I'm like, found footage film. I was like, well, you know, well, didn't Blair Witch do that? Why, why would we make a found footage film? Well, it's kind of, <laughs> you no, know, it's kind of really popular, right? You know, again, you know, cause you know, you got paranormal into, you know, paranormal activity and you know, uh-huh. the wreck, wreck movies were, and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, those are great. Those are like, you know, million dollar. I mean, not Blair, but you know, wreck and stuff like that. I mean, you know, they had, <laughs> they had pretty big budgets for the, for those found footage films. Right. And, uh, and uh, it was like, yeah, but the the market was was doing uh, was hot for those at the at that time, and um, we had some inside you know uh, 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 contacts for uh, when it came to distribution, and uh, it was kind of like, hey, you know, so we make this found footage film, it's uh, it's going to get distributed, and it's going to do it's it's a good time for it, so uh, we right. ended up making. So, and that's how kind of really that movie film real evil or now AKA specters was made. And, um, and, uh, so did they come with, did they come to you? Like I was just talking to, uh, Scott Kirkpatrick, um, about how they build a project and then they'll hire, you know, a screenwriter, they'll hire a director and everybody else. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've already kind of sold the project to the distribution company before they even, you know, put together the screenplay. Is that pretty Uh, common? No, I, I don't think it's, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's kind of low, on the low budget kind of level. I don't think it's that common to really sell the project, like, like sell the project as far as like distribution uh-huh. uh, rights. I mean, uh, and, and then go make the movie. You know, I mean, it, I think it used to be like that maybe back in the nineties and stuff where they would sell foreign, you know, you sell these you know, pre-sales, you know, based on artwork, like full moon used to do back in the day, you know, it'd be like, Hey, here's an artwork and a title. You guys are interested? And then they'd be like, yeah, we, we love it. And then they would, so, you know, advance, advance uh, most of the budget that they would need to go make the film. But these days, you know, especially at, on the lower budgeted level, it's, it's, uh, um, you know, especially if you don't have, if you don't have a star attached to forget it. I mean, who's going to, who's going to, the distribution companies are like, who's in it? And they're like, well, nobody, my, my brother, my sister, you know, <laughs> you know they're not going to, you're not going to get money from a distributor. Now, yeah. if you come to them and say, you know, Nicholas Cage is attached to it. Yes. You, you know that, but you're talking about a whole different level of filmmaking at that point. Um, yeah. but I'm talking on a, on an indie level with, with, uh, with that's just say for the sake of this conversation that there's no stars in it. And you're just making it with, um, you know, some talent, talented actors that you find, but there's no, there's no recognizable name in it. Um, your money is not most likely not kind of be coming from your distribution, from a distribution company, unless you're self-distributing, but, but in that case, it's coming from you anyway. Um, so, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's not common. It's, it's more, what's more common 
is you, um, I mean, look, I mean, is the company, the distribution company is, is often sometimes on the lower budget stuff that the distribution company is often the financing company as well. So it's kind of their own project anyway, but they're the one mm-hmm. making the decision on what kind of movie they're making. I mean, like right. Full Moon, for instance, Full Moon Pictures. I mean, they're, they're kind of their own distribution company and they, they went out, especially now because they have fullmoonstreaming.com, which is where they stream all their latest projects. But I mean, his, that whole business model is kind of like, you know, um, they make their own product and they distribute their own product. You know, they, they, they make a new film and it comes out through their, their website, their streaming website. And that's a, that's a big thing now too, with, um, with like the, uh, the Vimeo in demand and all that stuff is you can, you can go out and make a film and put it up on a site like, um, Vimeo on demand and people, and you can send people there and they can pay to stream your movie or they can pay to download your movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a great, it's a great distribution, um, method, but you know, you still, you can, you, you, you can, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't necessarily make them drink it. You know what I mean? Right. So you still have to have a, a higher quality product for people to, uh, uh, to, to, to want to go there and stream it and buy it, you know? So, right. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, did I answer a little bit of your question there? Yeah, no, it's perfect. You know, I'm, I just, I get obsessed because I, you know, I always try to put together this magic formula for, you know, you know, I've talked to some people that work in distribution and they're just like, yeah, man, it's just so oversaturated now. And I know all these people who have lost tons of money because they went out and they made these, you know, horror movies for like, mm-hmm. you know, half a million dollars. And then they got to the distribution and it was like, they, you know, they just yeah. lost everything because it wasn't Absolutely. like the mm-hmm. right thing. So, so one of the things that I try to help people with and also myself, you know, is like figuring out, you know, may, maybe we can talk for a second about, you know, budgeting and how much money, you know, more or less kind of what things are, you know, should be priced at. Because I know people who go out and make their first movie for, you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars and. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard other people like, you know, just do it as cheap as you possibly can, because at the end of the day, if you don't get distribution, then you haven't lost your shirt, you know? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So what what is your take on that in terms of just like budgeting, save somebody in, you know, middle America, whatever, you know, is like wants to make a, a horror movie and wants to try and like maybe take it to AFM or something or, or whatever, you know, what kind yeah. of advice, what, what kind of budget range, how, how should that all be broken down when they're first starting out and trying to produce a film? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, 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 I totally answer that. But just, just to add <laughs> to your, just to add to, to your distribution, um, okay. comment you know, about the people who made, who, who've lost money. I mean, believe me, I mean, I, I, I know so many people that have, have, have lost a lot, you know, I, I, I mean, including myself, you know, when I've, I've pulled out the credit cards and, you know, done the whole thing been in <laughs> massive, massive credit card debt for films, right. you know, for years trying to pay them off and, and for shit that wasn't even my, wasn't even fine. It was just stuff I, I, I wanted to pay for out of my own pocket to make it better. And it, and I didn't even own the rights to it. And I was paying for stuff. I mean, I mean, it's just really stupid stuff like that early on, but, 
but I mean the di- but 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 yeah, people have lost a lot when it comes to distribution. So um, when when it comes to I mean th- thinking that okay, well, we're going to spend all this money, but we're then we're going to go out and we, yeah, we're totally going to get it distributed. I mean, it, it, especially now, I mean, it doesn't. It's just not like that anymore. I mean, it's it's it is absolutely oversaturated. It has been for a long time. Um, so you know your your product needs to stand out if you're going to um even have a have a really good chance of 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 a really good distribution um deal and um and you you know just just going out with some friends and shooting a slasher over the weekend you know and you you max your credit cards out for 40 grand or whatever you you know you really can't expect to be getting that back you know um and mm-hmm. i and I, I always say you know look don't don't invest don't invest more than you can afford to lose because it's a very, very, um, big possibility that you'll lose all of it or you, or you might get it distributed, but you won't necessarily get the money back. I mean, because it, you know, when it, when a company, a distribution company takes over your, your movie, they might give you a little bit of an advance. If you're lucky, they give you a little bit of advance, like say, okay, well, we'll give you two grand of the advance and then you'll never see another dime ever again. <laughs> and that's right. happened to me on, on, on films that I've done. And it's like, we, you know, the company goes out of business and it's like, Hey, what happened? You know, and, you know what happened to those guys? Oh, they changed the name of their company again. You know? and, <laughs> and it's like, Oh, well, we need to see statements. We need to see a producer statement. No, uh, you know, we, we can't do that for you. So all the money that you've seen is, is, you know, the advance, you know, and, and it sucks for the filmmaker because, you know, at that point, your movie's already been distributed. You know, you can get, yeah, sure, you can get the rights back and try to redistribute it and everything at that point. But, you know, um, it, it's it's kind of uh, used goods at that point. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So when you're when you're going out of the gate, I mean, it's just just really be careful with the amount of money that you're you're committing to something and and. Uh, um, and I, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll live a happier life when you, if, if something, if something doesn't work out the way it's supposed to when it comes to distribution. Um, but coming, going back to your, 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 your budget, uh, um, question, um, you know, you asked me how, how to, how to, what, what some, um, you know, what, what some budget tricks are for, for, uh, um, for somebody yeah. going, coming out. Yeah, Definitely. Know? Um, well, first of all is, uh, is if you're if you're is to spend <laughs> trying to spend as less money as you possibly can i mean you really have to kind of be don't be annoying don't be a moocher you know but but whatever you have to sit down and on a piece of paper and write down all the things that that you your friends your family have available that you can use for free then then what you do you sit down and you say okay well i have a i have my parents house I have a lake. There's some public lands that there they, they, nobody cares if we shoot there. There's that old abandoned building that we could totally shoot at. You know, we have a boat. We have a car. You know, we have um, my my mom's a teacher, and uh, maybe I can shoot at the school or something like that. So you write all those things down on a piece of paper of all the things that 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 you have for free, and and it can be other things too that you can put in the scene, like oh, uh, Uncle Bob has a Lamborghini, or or so and so has a. Uh, <laughs> say uh you know has a has a um uh, an ak-47 or so i don't know whatever it is and <laughs> you write all those things down and then and then what you do is you look at all that stuff you put it up on a board and you can look at all that stuff and say what kind of movie could i make with all of these things what kind of story or maybe i already have a story when it, so if i already have a story can i look at all those elements and say how can i incorporate all, all that into my story can my story take place at that house at that at that 
um, on that boat in that car? Can I, can I, can I, you know, can I rewrite it for that? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think if you can do that and if you're willing to compromise whatever it is to, to adjust your story to what you have available that you can get for free, I think you'll save a lot. You'll save a ton of money. I mean, I, 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 I was, I do that pretty much for every film. Um, but it's, 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 it's a process that's kind of like, you know, Hey man, you know, let's not, let's not spend where we don't need to spend. And, uh, one of the big, uh, one big expense on, on uh, low budget films is the location, particularly if you're in LA, you know, when you get out of LA, you can pretty much get a lot, a lot more for free. I mean, people are so much more, so they're just, so, so, yeah, they're, savvy. <laughs> they're, they're happy to work on a, on a movie because it's exciting and, you know, yeah. you're not taking advantage or anything like that. You know, these people are, 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 are I believe me, I shot in like Fresno and it was like, you couldn't, you couldn't tell these people, you, you had to push people away. Like, Hey, no, I think we got more than we need. You know, thank you very much. <laughs> they would just come. I mean, they were coming out in the, in the, the hundreds to be extras uh-huh. and, and, and it was, it was actually overwhelming, I think a lot of times. And, um, but in LA, a whole different story. I mean, you're like, you know, you're shooting at a location. People are, people are being dicks, you know, people are, you know, turning their lawnmowers on. So you'll go over and tell them, you know, to turn it off. And then they'll, they, they, then, then they'll, they'll try to extort money out of you to do it. You know, like, Oh, well, I'm not going to turn it off unless you pay me. You know, it's like, Oh, okay. Um, I've had people shoot BB guns at me before. Um, when we were at, <laughs> We were at a, a location and the AD went over and asked politely if we were shooting a scene in an alley. And we didn't have a, you know, we didn't have a permit to be shooting there anyway. But the deep, the, one of the ADs asked them, hey, hey, would you guys mind just, just for, just for like, you know, five minutes, we just, we need to grab this quick shot. So on and so forth. And they just like went totally like psycho and they're just like, you know, fuck you. But you know, we're not like, <laughs> fucking dude. And they got on the roof and they started shooting BB guns at the crew members. Nice. Um, you know, I mean, tons of stuff like that, you know, and I, you know, extorting money out of, uh, out of us. I've had, I've had that happen before. I've had, you know, fire departments showing up and trying to threatening to shut us down unless we paid them immediately would pay them. Like, I forget, like some kind of, um, some kind of fee to get the permit, but like right on the spot. So it's like, you know, that sort of thing. And right. you know, cops neighbors showing up telling, telling us that their generator was causing health problems and stuff and they wanted money and they, it's just it's, it's ridiculous i guess is what i'm getting at but um so anyway i guess what i'm going with that is that if you're shooting in la it's probably a little harder to, to get certain locations like that for free and uh but when you're since most people that are probably listening to your podcast are outside of la um i think you really need to um utilize what you have i mean you know the movie making world isn't, isn't just in Los Angeles, you know? So, uh, if you're living in, um, Kansas or Ohio or, or wherever it is, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great, um, locations with, with, with amazing production value, uh, that, that you can get. So you just, just, just utilize all that stuff. And, um, I think you'll save big in your, uh, in your budget. I think that's one of the biggest, uh, uh money savers, on a low budget okay. film is, is, is the availability of, of, of stuff you already own. So. Now on the other side of that, what are the things that you absolutely can't be cheap about? Oh, well that, that, that goes without saying, uh, there, there's one thing you don't want to be cheap about is, um, the quality of your film. Uh, and, and what, and uh, first and foremost, the actors don't be cheap with your actors, pay for mm-hmm. good actors and you will, you will, you will not be sorry. Um, pay for good, good, a good camera. I mean, look, you know, I mean, look within reason, I mean, not everybody can shoot on the Alex, not everybody can shoot on the red weapon, you know, but if you have, I mean, but now, I mean, look, I mean, 
the the film um, that Sean Baker did the uh, that they shot he shot on a, an iPhone 5s with an anamorphic attachment you know using mm-hmm. using a nine dollar app or an eight dollar app you know and it got a theatrical release you know what I mean I mean there are other ways to do things but um, you know and then you have the uh, the, the Black Magic Pocket Cinema Camera a thousand dollar camera you know you have um, um, you know the Alexa has a Mini now you know the Alexa Mini just came out. Uh-huh. I was looking at that this year at the NAB show, and uh, there there are other other options, but don't be cheap with your camera. You know, don't don't um, don't be cheap with your camera. Don't be cheap with your key crew members, and you know what I mean by that is your DP incredibly important for obviously for the look of your movie. Uh, don't be cheap with lenses. Don't, don't be cheap with the camera. Don't be cheap with lenses. Don't be cheap with the DP. Don't be cheap with production design. Um, put the money on the screen. You know, at all times. I think if you just Go into it and say, look, if I'm where, where I'm spending money in this budget, I need to make sure that this money is going up on the screen. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So, you know, if I'm spending money for for silly stuff, you know, see if you can cut that stuff back and redistribute that money into something. Thing that the audience is actually going to see on the screen, and that can be anything that I just list, I just mentioned, you know, and, and more, <laughs> you know. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, no, don't, you know, don't don't be cheap on that stuff. Yeah, it, it, it will show. It definitely will show. And post too. Don't be. Oh my god. Don't <laughs> don't be cheap on your post. And don't say right. I'm going to fix it in post either, because as an owner of a post company for ten years, it, it, it's it's kind of cost you a hell of a lot more money to fix it in post than it would have been to get it right the first time. And and a lot of that has to do with sound. Usually, sound right. is probably the biggest problems that I have coming into my post company. People that just hired the worst sound people known to man, and it's just like a disaster. Um, you know, they usually. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So yeah, don't don't be cheap. <laughs> stuff, man. Right. It's not, not good. Well, that that's one of the big things that I think a lot of people don't understand. And I, I always try to like hit that over the head, you know, as much as possible in terms of sound, people will be like, Oh yeah, we've got, you know, this amazing 4k camera and whatever. And it's like, it's like, yeah, that yeah. doesn't really matter at all. You know, if you don't have good sound, if you don't have a good yeah. DP work in the camera, if you don't have all the totally. things, you know what I mean? So totally. I, I always try to make sure that people understand, you know, and, and I've heard from some people that like the sound guy and the, the catering guy are sometimes the most important guy on the set, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't be cheap. No, I mean, look, don't be cheap with your food too. I mean, you really don't, I mean, you, you really got to get, you know, these people are coming there and working hard and you, you got to take care of your, as a producer myself, you got to take care of your people. Definitely take Do not the whole like, okay, hamburgers for everybody. And there's Coke in the thing that that's not a, that's not a proper diet for, you know, most people, you know what I mean? You have right. to, uh, you know, spend the money into feeding, feeding people and, ha- and giving people options and, and uh, to, to, to what to eat on, on, on set. You know, don't, don't take everybody out to McDonald's. That's, that, that's not catering. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's, that's actually quite that's punishment. Idea, say, punishment. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but, um, I was going to say something else to you. I was, uh, you were, you were, uh, tracking on something there and I, uh, I had it in my head, but then I went off on up some stupid McDonald's rant. So, uh, uh, what you were talking about, um, well, sound and uh, catering, you know, you know being or sound, sound and catering, but, but the DP too. I mean, look, I mean, yeah. here's the, here's one of the biggest things I see, I see happening too. A lot of times is that these cameras have become so amazing and so cheap that oftentimes filmmakers will just 
say, man, you know, I, what do I need a DP for? I'll just shoot it myself. You know, we just, we just point and shoot, you know, we'll just use a zoom lens. We'll point and shoot. And I, it looks good to me. I turn the camera on, you know, the cameras can, can shoot in, in, in with a candle on in the room and it actually still looks pretty decent, but that's mm-hmm. not, you know, that's not, again, it's not the, that's not cinematography. That's not, you know, real filmmaking. You really want to get, you know, get somebody in there that's dedicated to that department. Right. You know, and, and not the director. Cause I've DP'd and directed before. And so it's, oh God, it's, it's crazy. But if you, but you know, you really want uh, to hire a, a DP that comes in and can really give you the look that you want and, and makes the right lens choices and, and, uh, and, and, and give you something. Cause it, it will absolutely show in your movie when you're done. You can tell, you'll look at a movie and be like, yeah, the movie's not bad, but you know, God, they must have shot it all with the zoom lens or they just shot it with some cheap lens or, you know, that they just kept moving around. But then you see another film that could be, you know, uh, shot on the same camera, but you're like, my God, this, this looks fantastic. What did they do? Oh my God. They were using like, they were, they had this amazing set of prime lenses that they were using and, 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 and a really good DP that actually knows how to light. You know, that's one of the things I learned from Mac Alberg. Um, he, Mac was a guy that Mac, just so those of you who don't know, Mac Alberg was a, um, he was a DP that I worked with on two films and he shot reanimator and um, house and Beverly Hills cop three and mm-hmm. all these Big Hollywood movies, big, big horror movies. Um, he's also worked with Stuart Gordon a lot. And anyway, Mac and I were, were good friends and he shot two, two movies, but I remember for me and then he shot two movies and we, we used to talk all the time about cinematography and he goes all the way back. He was a really old, older guy. He, he goes all the way back to, um, Ingmar Bergman. He shot, um, he shot one of the, I think one shot in the seventh seal. Ingmar Bergman's movie. And he was <laughs> so proud about that. And of course that's like freaking leg- legendary. <laughs> Movie right. to even be right. involved in that. Uh, anyway, one of the things he would always, I learned from him was he, he always would light. No, when his first film on digital, I, I think was with me. I, I made me mistake, but I think it was with me. And, um, he would light the digital like it was film. And it would look, and it would look so good. And he, you know, and, and it wasn't one of those things where he just would flip on the camera and be like, well, we are seeing an image. So yeah, that's great. That'll work. So he, it was really cool to watch him, watch him work on how he, he just, he still lit the digital like it was film and gave it the right exposure and everything. And it just, the stuff really looked fantastic. But I mean, you know, to get a guy like that is, is special, but it, now, I mean, you know, you just got to really make sure that you, you, you get somebody on board who's going to, who's going to do a really good cinematography job for you. Cause I, I'm telling you, man, it, it shows so much, you know, when, when you, when you don't have that, you know. Right. And um, right. so, yeah, spend the money on that. <laughs> now, who are the key when you start working? You know, we're still a little bit in, in pre-production. Um, who are the people that you really are kind of like your, you know, who do you go to for like putting together the budget and who, who are your key kind of players and who do you need? Even, you know, talking about, you know, lower budget features, but who would be the people that you needed to kind of like to make up your team aside from the DP, but sure. like people like the assistant director, production manager, or, you know, who, sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. No, I got you. No, I totally got you. Um, okay. well, one of the, and that's one of the things, this is another thing that you don't want to be cheap on. And, and it is the, 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 the management of your crew or the management of your, I'm sorry, the management of your film, you know, and upper, upper management of your film. You, you do not want to take on all the responsibilities yourself. Believe me, don't do that. Um, you know, delegate, delegate as much as you possibly can afford. Um, particularly 
um, when it comes to having, having an experienced line producer, uh, particularly when it comes to having an experienced UPM, a unit production manager, uh, particularly when it comes to, um, uh, you know, having, um, um, I'd say those, those two, if you have those two, you're, you're already, uh, you're already doing, uh, uh pretty good at that point. Um, but you know, just, I, I think it's very important for you to just to, to install an upper management team, um, start, you know, starting with your line producers, your line producers are really going to be your, 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 your buddy. Can you, <laughs> and, can you uh, describe just for people that don't completely understand what, what exactly the line producers role is on the film? Sure. Sure. Well, a line producers just one Oh one. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not, they're not really in a creative role on the film. Yep. They're more in the, in the role of, you know, a, a line producer is more like the guy who, the producer that really does all the the work, the gr- the great work, like the, <laughs> right. he's the guy who makes sure everybody's showing up, makes sure you know things are um, you know people are getting hired, people you know uh, the things are on people are moving on schedule. Sometimes they deal with the they deal with the uh, the studio if there is a studio. Um, they they um, they're really the 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 that like the, the central uh, producing um, element in, in in the film. Um, so when I'm producing a film, I, w- I won't produce a film without a freaking line producer, you know, and producing for me is more, it's more, I'm more, of, uh, I want to be more of a, cr- I'm more of a creative producer. So it's more like, you know, I can get the, I get the, I can get the, I get the, the idea, the, the script. I work with the the writers. I'm, I'm, I creatively develop the project. I usually get the the money or the funding for it. And then once that happens, first one of first things i do is bring on a line. once we we're ready to go into production one of the first things i do we'll bring on a line producer and the line producer will take that they'll budget it they'll break down this they'll break down the script um oftentimes they'll 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 um they'll hand they'll, they'll do a schedule um oftentimes um although you're sometimes your ad is more involved in that later on but often the, the line producer does the initial budget and initial schedule they'll deal with sag uh they'll deal with uh um all those other elements. So they're, 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 it's important to get a, an experienced line producer on board because it'll, it'll really help things uh, go, especially on low budget stuff. Um, and then you have, you know, uh, other upper management like your AD, you know, who's in, I, I mean, I've made plenty of movies without an AD because they'll usually the line producers like, Oh, we can afford an AD. So I'll be your AD. And I'm like, Oh, no, <laughs> no. Right. But to right. have a dedicated AD is, is a real godsend because they really do, you know, they, they help, they help you run, they help you run the set. And they let allow for you to concentrate on being a director and just just directing and not having to worry about where are my freaking actors? Why do I have to go find these guys? You know that's the job of your AD and AD to help you stay on schedule and tell people to be quiet when they need to be quiet and, and that sort of thing. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um. So you know it, those 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 upper upper management team is is is, is super important to install um, and qual- and get qualified people if you, if you can afford it if the budget allows people who have experience in that level of movie making um, is it, always a good thing too because they get low budget if they get low budget they understand like hey we you know we we can't be spending you know uh, uh, two hundred dollars on a refrigerator I mean I did a, a friend of mine a, a well known director friend of mine gave um, gave me a budget one time and he's like. He's like, you know, you just made this movie for um, $35,000 and like, you know, this movie that I'm doing, it's like, it's not that much more complicated than one they did that they just gave me a $350,000 budget. 
And he's like, can you, you think you could look at this for me and see if you could, you know, shave off a hundred grand or something like that. So I, I, looked, I did it for him. I looked at it and I was like, I, I was, my eyes were bleeding. I couldn't believe the stuff that they were paying for in there. And I just went through it with him. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. He was just looking at me like, huh? And I, and I was like, nope, nope, nope. And I was like, dude, you have somebody actually budgeted for you to have a two, to go out and buy a $200 refrigerator for your production office. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? What movies have you been? This guy been working on? This no. is low budget. We don't two hundred dollars for refrigerator. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I mean, just things like that. It was it was absolutely ridiculous. So right. I shaved off like one hundred fifty grand for him. He was really happy. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, things like that. You just it's like ah, oh, geez. Um, so so yeah. So uh, I hope I answered your question there. But yeah. So when you're when you start directing, the how how important is it that you can just like kind of be? Do you have kind of that laser focus on? Okay, we have to get this scene. Then we're moving to that scene, and mm. you know, are you just like visualizing where the camera is going to go, or you have, have you worked it out most of it before you get on the set, or do you kind of do it while you're there? Um, well, I think on this, on, uh, when you, on the, I've done it both ways. Um, but honestly, on the films that I've done, they've, they've been done in such a hurry that, <laughs> you know, I mean, like I, you know, look, real, real evil, I shot in six days. Okay. Uh-huh. I mean, and, you know, we were doing seven, 17, 15 pages a day in, at Linda Vista Hospital, East LA, running around this freaking giant hospital, the whole thing. But a 16, a six day movie. Um, and, you know, I think when you're doing something that quickly, a lot of people, a lot of people, and, and they should, they, they, a lot of people should be prepared. They want to come in prepared. Like, Hey, you know, I know every single shot that I'm doing, I'm going to come in. Everybody's going to be like, wow, you're the most amazing prepared director I've ever met. Blah, blah, blah. And then they get there and they're like, and, and your line producer comes up to you and say, Oh yeah, the, the, the location owner says we can't shoot on that floor today. Uh, there's another crew coming in and the deal we made, blah, 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 blah. So you can't shoot there and you have to shoot on another floor. And then, and, and then, and then immediately your, your shot list is gone. It's, it's, mm-hmm. you just got to crumble it up and throw it away. You're like, well, it, it ain't going to fucking work here. So now we got to, um, we got to shoot on a completely different floor, completely different look and we have to roll with the punch. So now all that prep you did doesn't matter. So I mean, like real evil, like I, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of the films, but particularly really evil. I remember because I just was like, you just show up and like, okay, you know, what are we doing? It's like, okay, here's the side. And I would, I literally would look at the schedule and just say, okay, we're shooting that, we're shooting that, we're shooting that. Okay, great. And then I would go, we, I'd go in there, I'd grab the actors, we, I'd read over the scene, and um, and I would just start cutting the scene together in my head, like, okay, you know. But I mean, I have the experience from as an editor, so. I right, yeah. go in and I already know what it's going to look like. So I'm like, okay, well, you we come around the corner and the camera's here and let's shoot it this way. And then boom, we're done. So for me, it's very fast and to the point and we don't waste footage. We don't, I don't overcover. I don't shoot too many takes. I know when I got something, when I don't got something, but, but that comes from a lot of experience with editing. Um, so, you know, it, I, I mean, I, maybe I can do that kind of stuff. I'm sure other people can do that kind of stuff, but if you're, maybe if it's your first project, um, it's always a good idea to be prepared, you know, I mean, cause even if you do the prep work and you come in with a plan, most of the time you can execute it, but not all the time you, you, you can, a lot of times you can't shoot that direction or the sun's in the wrong, we, we can't shoot that direction, how you plan it, you know, so you have to shoot it the other way. Well, that kind of changes your, that your blocking plan or your, your shot plan, you know, and you just have to be able to roll with it, you know, and, um, right. if you can do that, then I think, you know, you're, you're on your way to, uh, <laughs> you're directing, you're directing a lot, you know, because uh, it, it it certainly doesn't always turn out the way you you had it on paper. Yeah. Right. So, 
So what, what is the key talking specifically now, since this is going to be for our October Scarathon? I don't know what it's going to be called yet. <laughs> <laughs> Scarathon. <laughs> the Scarathon. The Scarathon. But, uh, what, what is the key to, you know, horror is very different than every other genre, you know, because you have to really affect the audience. Like you have to scare the pants off of them, you know, and, and mm-hmm. if you're, uh, a successful horror movie, you have, you know, maybe not jump scares, but you have to scare people. What, what do you think are kind of the key ingredients for creating a successful horror film and, and making people feel like they got what they wanted to out of it, you know, scaring them or whatever? Well, yeah, yeah. The great, no, great question. I think that, um, I think it, it comes down to having, you know, having one, having characters that you really care about that, that are, are compelling you know, that people that you, you want to watch, uh, people that you're going to, you're going to actually give a shit if they're coming up against a, a, a monster or a threat of some kind. Um, you know, you, you, so you, so that definitely number one is your story and your characters. But, um, as far as like, you know, the monsters and what things like that, I mean, you, you, I mean, to, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, monsters like, like, well, I'm not running monsters, but like somebody like, um, like a Leatherface or, uh, or, uh, or, or Jason and Freddy. I mean, those, those guys have been around for a long time for a reason. You know, they were compelling monster, compelling m- horror movie <laughs> villains. I mean, that's why right. they've lasted this long. You know? mm-hmm. And I think if you can come up with a, monster or a uh a disease or whatever it may be you know that 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 is compelling enough to 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 uh, to do a lot of sequels hopefully uh that they should go with it you know um mm-hmm. but um you know you know you really i know it's hard now though to it is hard you know because there's you know things how everything's seems like everything's been done but right <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you know you can't do enough you doesn't certainly doesn't mean you can't go out and make your own slasher just because there's been a billion slashers made you just need to go out and make a slasher that is your own point of view and is that your own interpretation of what you think a slasher movie should be like and hopefully that translates into your vision and to your um, your aesthetic and your brand and your, um, your unique style of movie making. So I think if you look at it from that point of view, you can't really, you know, you can, you can, you might be able to get inspired and say, Hey, you know, well, I, you know, I always wanted to make a slasher on a submarine or I own just like a slasher in a tree house or whatever the hell it may be, you know, and, and I have a unique way that I think is going to work for doing it. And, um, and, and that's what you should do, you know? And, uh, so there really, I mean, there really isn't, I mean, you can, you can study, you can study horror movies all you want and, and you should, you absolutely should, particularly the classics, particularly, um, and there's a lot, so many great movies that have been made, uh, uh in the eighties and the eighties and the seventies, certainly, certainly today too, but I think more so in the, in the, uh, in the, the earlier years, you know, but, um, do you have any specific that. films that like stick out that kind of really affected you? Oh yeah. I mean, look, when I, when I made Stuart Gordon was a big influence for me because he was my kind of my directing mentor really we mm-hmm. we made a movie together many years ago we, and uh dollars <laughs> movie called deathbed Stuart gordon presents deathbed we were going to do a whole series of these things Stuart gordon presents this and that and then a whole deal um but the first one we made together and he was the executive producer and his name was above the title and the whole deal and um i just watched a the, bunch of uh the outtakes from that because it's on youtube oh the, is it behind the scenes footage of you guys shooting that. Which oh yeah. Is, that's it's really kind of cool. Yeah. That was a fun one. It was, a, it was, a, it was fun, but 
I mean, I learned so much on that film. I mean, it was, it was so, I mean, we, it, again, it was, we shot it for 25 grand and it was posted for 10 and we shot it. This is pre 24 P. So like, this is before like the cameras were like they are now. This right. is, this is when we would shoot on digital video. We'd shoot on DV cam and we would film look it through, mm-hmm. through a, uh, after effects plugin or, or the company in Burbank called film look, they would actually take, take it and remove the telecine and try to make it look more like it was shot on film. And that's why we were doing a lot of stuff in the, in the early 2000 before the 24 P cameras came out. So anyway, we made this film and, um, and I remember before we made the film, uh, Stuart, I went up, we just, Stuart went over to Stuart's house with Mac Alberg, our DP. And, um, and we, we, he's like, Hey, let's watch some, let's watch some horror movies. So, and, and, and so we watched, um, one of my favorite, uh, classic horror films, which is called The Innocence. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's a really great one for you to watch. Um, and then we, and I think also, I've seen that. What, what is, what is that? Who's in that? Um, that is, um, uh, what's the lady's name? Um, that is, uh, it's a black and white film. It's, it's, uh, De- God, my, my brain, my brain just completely went brain. Deb, Deb, Deb I think it's Deborah or Deb. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cause she was the one who, who was in, uh, Poltergeist too, right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah. But just, yeah, like, okay. I remember. Th- yeah, that was really good. It's, it's amazing. It's a fantastic film. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It's like a ghost movie, it's right? It's a ghost movie. It's a ghost. Yeah, movie. that that was amazing. I remember I saw that last year. Yeah, it's a classic, man. Just just I mean, that's that you can't go the wrong. Innocence. Yeah. Innocence. Okay. And the other film that that I think is very well certainly was very powerful and very um that pretty much Stuart Gordon says it was his horror film school is Rosemary's Baby. And Rosemary's oh, right. Baby, the original Rosemary's Baby. I don't know if they've mm-hmm. they made a TV series or something, who knows? But the original, I try to pretend Rome, there's not another one. Yeah, yeah. right. Roman Flansky's Rosemary's Baby was absolutely, uh, I know for Stewart certainly was, was his film school, uh, yeah. for, and I watched it with him when we watched it together and he was pointing out things and I, and I was like, ah, you know, I never really thought about it like that. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, and so we, we watched it together and really took it apart. And it was like, it was so cool. Cause you know, here I am sitting with freaking, you know, Stuart Gordon, you know, <laughs> breaking <laughs> apart Rosemary's Baby. And, and it was like yeah. amazing. So I think, you know, the Rosemary's Baby and the Innocence, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of them, but I think those two in particular really certainly stood out, um, in, 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 you know, as classics because we were, we were specifically looking at sort of more, um, uh, that, that style of filmmaking, sort of like ghost stories right. and. I think you can learn so much about directing and screenwriting from Rosemary's Baby just by itself. Oh, yeah. You know, because you watch it. You can watch it five or six times. And the second time, once you've seen the whole thing and you watch it again and you see what's kind of going on, like so much of that movie takes place away from the camera. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So it's like you're you're Absolutely. learning all these things from – uh, you know, the, the neighbors and everything and yeah. they're, you know, all these things that are going on yeah. and you're kind of seeing everything through the point of view of a woman who, you know, seems like she's kind of losing her mind, but it's actually, you know, yeah. it's actually, something's actually happening to her, but it's just brilliant that. And, you know, I always like that in, in Chinatown, you know, China, yeah, Chinatown, Polanski's yeah. two, two movies back oh. to back that were just incredible. Polanski Those are like did. filmmaking schools on their, yeah, their absolutely. own. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, Polanski, I mean, he's a, He's a, he's a master filmmaker. There's no, no, no question about that. I mean, look in The Shining too. The Shining's a great example. There's a really good book actually I've been reading. Um, it's called, um, it's called, uh, uh The Shining Studies in the Horror Film by Daniel Olson, edited mm-hmm. by Daniel Olson. And it's just this 
big old freaking book about the making of the shining. And it's just uh, really, really, really interesting if you're interested in that. So there's also one on the exorcist too, uh, studies in the horror film series. Um, that, that's really good. I mean, of course the exorcist, there's no question that that's, you know, one of probably one of the best poor films ever made, but I mean, um, the, the shining and, um, one of one film that I actually I was talking about it last night uh, was uh, is a film uh, called The Entity with Barbara Hershey. Is one of the films that scared the freaking shit out of me. It was really, really, <laughs> really scary. Um, and uh, the Changeling is an amazing, not this Angelina Jolie thing. The 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 the, um, uh, the Changeling, the old the classic uh, one with uh, George uh, uh, um, George uh, oh God, um, <laughs> the guy who played Patton for God's sakes. Ah, oh yeah, George C. Scott. Yeah, George. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, so yeah, um, th- but he's in this film called The Changeling. Oh man, it's such a great, such a great ghost story. Just classy and just gothic, yeah. beautiful, just awesome film. Really amazing film. Um, but I mean, you know, I mean, I could go, we could go on all day about that. That's a whole other podcast, I think. But um, the this, the, but this, um, this is so important to uh, to do is to really look at these films and really study these classics. And uh, certainly Hitchcock, if you Hitchcock is probably one of the best film schools that you could ever have is to just watch Hitchcock and study Hitchcock. I mean, he's just, it's just, uh, it goes without, goes without saying that, uh, you know, right. it's, that's a, that's a good one too. Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let me, uh, let's, let's move slowly just so, I mean, I know you don't have a whole lot of time. No, um, I mean, just whatever. I'm here for you. So just let me just keep. <laughs> okay. Well, know, we'll be here for another four hours. That's, I have a you know, no big deal. Um, <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so moving into um, – well, let me ask you something about um, just the the actual creating of creatures. Do you go to just like a creature workshop? How is the creatures designed? How does that whole process work and okay. who owns – I mean at the end of the day – um, say for example, you create, uh, you know, you've got a screenplay, you've right, you've got this character, you have, you know, artists working on it or whatever. Um, do you own that creature after they create it? Does the, the company that make it own those rights? You know, sure. how does that all work? Well, yeah, it's going to be whoever owns the, uh, whoever owns the, the film. I mean, cause you're, you're okay. creating a, you're creating a likeness of a character. So, I mean, it, you know, you're creating a, uh, say it's a, um, a, 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 a I don't know, some kind of weird pumpkin creature or something like pumpkin head, but I mean, some kind of, yeah, whoever designs that, I mean, if you, if it's in the film, I mean, you, whoever owns the rights to the film is going to own that, that likeness of that creature. I mean, of course it depends on how the legal paperwork was all worked out too. I mean, maybe they could have licensed the image, but they didn't necessarily own it. You know what I mean? Um, But more than the chances are that whoever's, whoever made the film, the producers that made the film are the ones that actually own it and can license it out and make t-shirts and, you know, uh, masks and all that thing. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, cause I've actually had masks made from my film, dark Walker. They made two masks out of it, two Halloween masks, dark Walker one and dark Walker two. Of course there was never a dark Walker two, but they, <laughs> they made a mask called dark Walker two. And you can look it up. Actually, if you look it up on it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a fantastic mask. It yeah, looks, I, it, I saw it. it I, I was doing research. Better, it looks way better than the one in the movie. <laughs> and, and it's like, it's like, man, that should have been the, the creature in the film. What happened? So, <laughs> But I mean, if you can just buy one and make part two real quick with one that you buy. You know, what's funny is, uh, I was in, um, I traveled to, uh, I think it was Indonesia and I, I had a, uh, I found, I found, you know, I'm, I'm always interested. I'm very interested in foreign horror. I love foreign horror films, particularly Asian horror. 
but I, I found this film and I, and I, and I picked it up off the shelf and it was some Indonesian horror movie. And I was looking at it. I was like, Oh, it's some kind of weird ghost movie thing. So I flipped over to the back and I was like, what the fuck? They, they, <laughs> they had bought the mask for my movie, dark Walker and used it in the movie as if it was, if this, that was the creature in their movie. And then on the back cover, there's a picture of, of the mask, the guy wearing the mask. And then, you know, they just added a little blood on it or something to make it look a little different and have a different suit. And, and then I was like, I was like, what the hell? I mean, yeah. So anyway, I thought, I mean, I didn't care. I thought it was funny, you know, to me, I don't, whatever, you know, go do it. They want to do that. I, it's flattering, I, you know, but, uh, I just thought it was hilarious. I was looking at this movie like, what the fuck? I was in the <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it happens, but in that case, it certainly, in that particular case, certainly we own the, the likeness of the, the mask. Uh, the brush right. needed it. So, um, but I think as far as as far as a, a, how it gets created, um, that is usually a conversation with the director. The, the writer can write it one way, but the director might have a, a, a different vision of how it looks. So, usually the director talks with the either the, the makeup artist um, and and says, "Hey, I want it to look a little." a little like uh, this and this and this. And then the makeup artist will usually do a, sometimes they'll do a drawing. They could do a drawing for you. Sometimes you could have an artist do a drawing and then you just give it to the makeup artist. Say, I want you to, I want you to do a model of this. I've done, I've done it both ways. Um, sometimes the, um, the makeup or the, the special effects artist would, 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 um, would do a mock-up for you, you know, and just say, mm-hmm. you know, come in and they do a, they do a, you know, a, a sculpture, of, of it and then you can do you know do some adjustments there and then once you're satisfied with it then they they mold it and and there they, they they make the prosthetics that they need to make and you're done you know and uh and uh you have a you have your your new character so that's kind of really the process with it it's it's kind of a it's a definitely a collaborative process i mean um if you have something super specific in mind it's a good idea to hire a uh uh, 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 an artist to, to draw it for you to do, even if it's just a simple pencil drawing, just somebody to draw what you have in mind and, mm-hmm. and, and hand that to somebody who can execute it as a, as a prosthetic, uh, or, 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 or whatever, you know, particular effect you're doing. Right. So that, that's kind of how that, that whole thing works. Yeah. Now, would you say that's a lot more effective than, I mean, not effective, but a lot more, um, Economic, if you're trying to do a creature, I mean, is there any way you can do CGI or something like that in these low sure. budget movies? Oh yeah, no, totally. I've done it several times to fix bad makeup. Uh, what I've, what I had, I've did it on uh, Ghost Month. I did it on Real Evil. What, what I call, I call it digital makeup. And what, what it is is, um, you know, you go, you, you know, I had a situation uh, where. You know, we did some makeup tests and I thought it was going to look better than it did. And then we got to set and, and the guy came out and I was like, what the fuck did they, <laughs> and, I mean, it just looked, it looks so bad. I mean, it happens a lot on low budget movies. It happens to me seems, seems like a, a lot in my earlier movies. It was like a lot of times it would be the first time that I had actually even seen the makeup would be when I'm on set. We, mm-hmm. we would hire somebody and then we would, we just didn't have the money and the budget and the time. And it would just be, they would come out and say, here's the vampire. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> okay, what Halloween store did we go to? Right. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then, so, so I would spend all this energy trying to figure out how I'm going to cover this how I'm going to not show this person because it looks so ridiculous. So a lot of times they'll be in shadow or you don't, you don't stay on them too long. And it was just like, you know, always like that. But in, I mean, I remember one film, it was like the guy came out 
and it was like it was like what you know he looks like a he looks like powder you know the guy from the powder <laughs> Victor so it just it just looked terrible and I was like it didn't look anything like much so I I was like okay well, well let's change I talked to the DP I was like look you know we got I got to shoot this not because there's no there's no we're in the middle of the desert there's nothing else we can do so we um you know I said I talked to him about changing the lighting up and changing the way we're going to shoot it and how I'm going to shoot it and that sort of thing and and you know it helped and then when I got it into post because that's kind of one of my things specialties is uh i was like i gave it to a friend and i, I said hey you know let's do some digital makeup on this guy because he looks ridiculous so i had his face morph into like a skeleton or you know and i had the other girl's face morph into this weird like corpsey looking thing and and so on and so forth and, and it worked great and after that i was happy because i was like oh good because it looks a little more supernatural now because their face is actually morphing from some some one one state to another state so it looked a little bit it was funner to, to use but um but yeah i mean that's happened and uh to me several times i did it on real evil too there was uh some stuff where the it wasn't that the makeup was necessarily uh it wasn't that the make i wasn't happy with the makeup on that one it was more that i thought it could be scarier so we added the digital makeup onto it to make it even scarier um so uh so yeah that that's uh that, that definitely uh definitely happens and uh uh, you, you, you can roll, roll with the, roll with the punches with what you got to work with, but sometimes you can fix the stuff like that in post if you have the, the know-how. Right. Do you believe in the, the idea that it's better not to see the monster, you know, that it's more scary. You know, I, yes. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Jaws. It's one of my favorite movies. Oh, yeah, so totally. I'm always like, you know, right. and, and, you know, Spielberg's big influence was a movie called Cat Eyes, you uh -huh. know, and yeah. so he, he was like, well, I don't know how to tell the story. The shark is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to yeah. find a way to shoot this movie without showing the shark. So, yeah. you know, he, he was talking about how this movie cat eyes, you never ever see the, uh, the, the creature or the monster, mm -hmm. the cat or whatever. Yeah. Um, so d I would think that's another way to kind of like, you know, and even if you have a cool character to kind of keep it in the dark, you know, until maybe towards the end where you do like a reveal or something like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think I, I'm a firm believer in that. Absolutely. And it's, it's a, a closed door is, is way scarier than, than to, to not know what's behind that door or what's in that darkness. But you know, something is there is it, such a great technique, a horror movie making technique that, you know, be, that the, the mind of the, the audience just goes, goes crazy you know and um mm -hmm. you know and I, I think that's a, it's a great that those are the kind of films that i prefer to make you know I, i'm i'm totally like more of a classical horror guy like i like to make movies like a rosemary's baby or you know um or, or the, all the ones i mentioned before you know those those are the films i like to make um but you know when you're making something for hire or for as a producer for hire director for hire oftentimes you don't really have those options a lot of times they you know the companies or the distributors they want to see a lot more because it makes a great trailer, you know, or it makes a great um, uh, piece of art, you know, or that sort of thing, you know, right. which of course is obviously completely business related, not artistic related. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, you know, it's entertainment business is like that. It's a, it's the combination of, of art and commerce, you know, right. and, um, and you, you, it's just finding a way to still get your vision on the screen, but understanding that you have to, walk down a wavy, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a wavy way of trying to get, get the commerce out of it, but still trying to get the art out of it at the same time, you know, right. and, and being able to compromise and, and still get, get a good movie made at the same time. You know, it's, 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 it's difficult to do, no doubt. I mean, uh, uh, so, 
So yeah. Well, a lot of the people that I've talked to who are, you know, producers, a lot of them are like, you know, we need to package it in such a way that people are going to want to watch it in the first place. Yeah. But sometimes you have to hide a good movie within a movie that's more commercial, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I want to watch this. You got to get that initial click. And then it's like, oh, this is actually a good movie. You know, can Jaws to me is always the perfect example of that. It's like Mm -hmm. the perfect, you know, popcorn movie, but inside of it, it's an amazing movie. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally, man. I mean, absolutely. And that's, that's a great way to look at it. But I think, I think, I mean, Jaws, of course, was made, you know, 30, whatever year, 40 years, I think now, right? 40 yep. years ago. Um, but, and that was a, that was such a, a great time to be making movies back then, you know? Uh, but I think with uh, now, I mean, with the distribution being changed so much, uh, what's happening, uh, yeah, I'm certain. Look, I mean, just happened on on a movie I just did. So you know, I mean, they they changed the artwork and the campaign and everything. But a lot of it has to do with um, when it comes, especially with di- with digital distribution. It has to. It comes down to like you only get a moment for somebody to be browsing through their Netflix queue or to, or, or browsing through their Hulu queue to stop and say, "Hey, that looks kind of cool." Boom. You know, I like, the title's good. If it's it usually higher up on the higher up on the list. Sometimes if it's alphabetical, sometimes it's good to have like something that starts with an A or a B or a C or a D, you know, versus (laughs) something that starts with a Z, you know, kind of thing. There's little, little things like that that are, can be taken into consideration, but certainly artwork and trailer are, are, you know, so key to, to, to getting um, people to, uh, to, to click on it, you know, to, to watch it. I mean, and, uh, in, and in the case of a company like say Hulu, you, the filmmaker gets paid per click. So every time Mm -hmm. somebody clicks on that, they get X amount, you know? So, you know, it's, it's important to get people to, to, uh, to watch it. And if you can, if, if, if that means, you know, putting together an amazing piece of art, an amazing trailer, then that's what you got to do, you know? Right. So, uh, uh, but, but the movie still has to stand you know, on its own too, after you get, you can get people to click on it, but you can't necessarily get them to watch it. So you still got to make a good movie, but if you can have a good trailer, a good movie, good art, you know, you're, 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 you're on your way, you know? Yeah. It just seems like nowadays you, you know, especially with Netflix, if you go into the horror section, it's like they put all this money into the graphic design of the poster and then you start watching it and it's like, Oh yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> you yeah, know? it's like yeah. they just kind of made it. I mean, it must have been bought as part of like a larger package or sure. something, you know. But the movie just completely. There's nothing to it. It's badly shot. Yeah. There, you know. So you know, you, you, we've gotten into this world. I think where it's almost kind of like social media. People are trying to figure out how to get more stars on things. People are trying to just like get things shared around. But you know, the quality a lot of times isn't there. You know. Sure. What I mean? Sure. I probably made one or two of those that you clicked. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, you'll click on. I mean, look, I I, I click on the stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck, you know? And then it just I'm to the point. Where, you know, that's why I, I just like to watch classics, my main. Yeah. But I mean, um, yeah, it, 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 yeah, so, totally. It's it's in they're bought as packages. They're bought as other deals or licensing deals with God. Who knows? You know, there's Voodoo and. Uh, Hulu and Netflix and all these other distributors that the Amazon and Prime and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I try to do kind of with, you know, the podcast is, you know, trying, trying to find that kind of line between, okay, there's people, I talk to a lot of people who are just doing purely 
you know, art films that are like, you know, stories of tragedy and things that have, you know, I mean, and they're probably going to be really good movies, sure, but they're never going to be able to sell them. Right. It's like, it's never going to go anywhere. So I, I'm always kind of like, okay, well there's got, you know, like the stuff that I write is more, you know, in the horror, you know, monster movie kind of thing, but inside of the movie, there's like stories, characters, and there's like an actual, you know, hopefully, you know, an actual good movie inside of that, you know? Yeah. So I always try to tell people, you know, try to do something. I mean, it's good to make a movie about, you know, you're growing up in a small town and this and that. And, but, you know, you have to connect somehow. Yeah. If you can connect with your own audience, you know, good, good for you, you know, go ahead and do that. And that's great. But, mm-hmm. you know, you do have to have something that, you know, think about Netflix or iTunes. What are people going to click on? You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's art and commerce because it, it, I mean, so many people. I, 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 you know, I know certainly it happens a lot with me when when people find out I'm a, I'm a producer and director or whatever. That's and especially if they're not in the business too. All, all of a sudden, they're like, "Well, I got a story for you," <laughs> and then they start telling me their life story about this and that, and 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 and, and you know. And for them, yeah, it's it's their own story. But they, they what they don't understand is everybody's got a story, you know. But not you know not not every story makes a good movie, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, there's plenty of stories out there. Like yeah, the time that my my uh, boyfriend did this, wouldn't that make it a great movie? And you're just kind of like, mm, well, not really. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, it, it, it's <laughs> deeper than that. I mean, it, it's yeah. a lot deeper than that. And a lot of that has to do. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna do with the. The, the certainly the 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 premise you know uh, of it is has to be compelling and the um the characters have to be compelling we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show the story mm-hmm. the telling has to be compelling the writing has to be compelling i mean before you even get to all this stuff that we're talking about I mean, we just, you need to rewind and go back to the, to your, to your, your premise, your concept. And then, and then if you have a great premise and a great concept, then you, you, you know, work up a treatment, you work up a treatment, you work out some bugs, you work up the script, you know, then you, then you got more time to work on that script. You keep working, you keep chiseling that down to, to the way it needs to be. And, and, and if you know kind of what budget level you're going to shoot it on, then you, you need to limit the locations and limit the amount of people that are in the, in the scenes. And, uh, and then when you, once you get that all nice and polished up, give it to a few people that, that don't read scripts for a living and, and, and see what they think. And then, and then do one more pass on it, you know, you, and then, and then at some point around there, then maybe it's time to start, you know, getting the money to do it and put it in, actually green light it and put it into, and put it into production. But I think a lot of people don't spend enough time on the script. And so I'm certainly guilty of that. I, I'll, uh, certainly guilty of films that I've made that were just like, you know, you, you add it, you're just like, the script's not ready. Oh, well, we're shooting next week. Oh, geez. <laughs> and, you know, and you try to roll with it like, oh, maybe there's something I can do to make it better. Or, you know, and you're like, no, nah, not really. Because you know, if it's not on the page to begin with, it's not only so much you can do with, with it, you know, so, um, yeah, it's it's trying. You don't want to go into production with something that's that's not ready. But um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's such an important. It's, it's actually one chat, one section of this book that I wasn't able to because it's a whole different book. I mean, you can, I can't I can't write like twenty five pages about about screenwriting and and storytelling and everything. So I I just there was kind of an overview in my book about g- getting started and how to you know combine monsters, you know, stuff to inspire to get it going. And then the rest is about actually making the film production and distribution and everything. But, um, 
screw the screenwriting aspect of it was it's, it's it's a whole other book in itself uh, but if you're you know if you're a starting filmmaker and you really want to get some really good uh books on uh on, on screenwriting um there's there's so many out there certainly story by robert mckee is probably one of the best ones um there's uh uh, an endless amount of, uh, of them that have been written. I, I wouldn't say all of them are good, but I would say uh, uh, there, there's some, there's certainly some that have been written on, on specifically on horror. Um, mm-hmm. I think the one guy wrote one on uh, genre filmmaking. I can't remember the name of the author, but, uh, but just, yeah, just take a look at, at, at what's out there and, uh, and we'll, uh, you'll, you'll see. But one of the, what I find that's even, that's even better than that. I mean, it's great, it's great to, to do, to read it. And, you know, and if you, if you understand it, great, if not, you know, that's, you know, read, read more, <laughs> but one of the best <laughs> things to do is to actually read screenplays to, to get horror screenplays. If that's the genre of, of your choice. Um, certainly there are a lot of them available out there, excuse me, on the online is to, you know, to get them and to read them and to study them right. and, and look at the formatting, look at the way that, that, that it's, that it's written and, and, and really, really study the screen, the screenplay page. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a writer myself, so I have an extensive collection of, of screenplays. I mean, I have a whole shelf. I mean, just, just like literally like a thousand screenplays that are on my shelf and, and, you know, and I just go over when I want to and say, Oh, I'm going to read the script for U-Turn or I'm going to read the script for uh knocked up or whatever it is. I mean, those aren't horror films, but I mean, I have, I have the script for Hellraiser and, you know, and I have the script for, uh, um, you know, house on haunted Hill with script notes, you know, <laughs> that's sort of right. And, 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 you know, that's, that's really, I think one of the most powerful ways to learn how to, uh, how to, how to, how to write is to read great other writers that are really great and, and, and study them, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. I think it's kind of like through osmosis in a way. I remember I used to read the, uh, alien screenplay oh, all yeah. the time, have, you know, and that's great. And it was just like I would read it over and over and over again, and then when I would go back and actually watch the film, I would remember kind of how it looked, yeah. you know, on the on the page and how it kind of came to life. And you really realize how kind of um, succinct it has to all be. You know, screenplays have to be completely just tight. There can't be one, you know, moment in it that doesn't have a reason. You know, and if you read those screenplays, you know, especially the, you know, the classics or even just good movies. You know, I think you, yeah. you kind of just see, a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't have, it's not like a book where you have a lot of pages that, you know, probably could be left out. Sure, <laughs> you know? sure. Yeah. But, um, let me ask you one more thing yeah. about that because a lot of screenwriters listen to this. Um, do you co- the companies where you've worked for the production houses, um, do they regularly, I mean, where are they getting their writers and screenplays from? Oh. I mean, do you find that they're mostly people that are in town or do they, ever sure. like just find people outside of town submit screenplays and stuff like that oh yeah sure i'd be happy to answer that. um before i do i i wanted to add to your um your aliens comment on the screenplay there's a there's actually a really cool book if you haven't checked it out it's called and dan o'bannon wrote it it's dan o'bannon's guide to screenplay structure um, oh really i don't think i've ever seen yeah he, he actually wrote a book on on um his sort of methodology to how he's how he 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 writes particularly right. to alien and he has a very it's, 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 it's an interesting read. He's a very unorthodox way of doing it, but I think it, I think if for screenwriters that are reading this and certainly for me as a screenwriter myself, I found it, I found it really, uh, really insightful to see how somebody like Dan O'Bannon, who of course wrote aliens, a- alien, 
um, it, it works in Night of the Living Dead. Or, I'm sorry, geez, Night of the Living Dead. Return of the Living Dead. He wrote Return of the Living Dead too, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, it's really it's a, it's a, it's a cool it's a cool little it's a cool read. Uh, so you should check it out if you if you have the ability to do it. But um, uh, certainly, uh, I think most filmmakers would agree that one of the best ways to learn how to make movies is certainly to one watch movies, but watch them, not watch them just to watch him once once just to watch him but watch it twice to study it you know and to really break it apart and two to um to read and screenplays i'm always amazed how many people i meet that that and i ask him like like what do you have a screenplay like oh, no i don't have, I don't have any, wait, wait, you want to be a screenwriter and you don't have any screenplays in your house you know <laughs> you don't read screenplays well no right. it's just, just my own you know <laughs> like oh okay you know so, so are you going to be, are you going to make your own music, but only listen to your own music? You know, and it doesn't make any sense. You have, you know, you have to, you know, if you, if you're a screenwriter and you don't have like either a, a folder on your computer with a bunch of PDF screenplays that you, you bought, you know, to, 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 to read and study, or actually have a lot of screenplays in your own personal library, or if you don't even have a personal library and you want, and you're a writer or a screenwriter, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, it might be kind of a good idea to do something like that. I mean, New, New Market Press is is probably one of the most well-known publishers that publish screenplays. And I would highly recommend checking out that particular publishing company. They publish a lot of that stuff. But there's a lot of that out there um, that, that, uh, that, you, that you should that you should, uh, should get out and study. So anyway, with that said, uh, uh, as far as <laughs> the transition just into the screenwriting question. And um, I've hired plenty of writers um uh and my as a producer uh right. certainly um I, I i hired them for a number of reasons but um usually sometimes it's because i'm i just don't have the time to write it myself because as a, as a writer myself usually i want to write it myself but i'm kind of like oh god i just don't have the time and i need to spend the time on the producing and getting money to even make the thing and that sort of thing so um oftentimes uh i'll have i'll have i'll hire a screenwriter um and it's usually it, it just depends you know what, what it is but usually on the low budget level of things screen uh scripts are written as work for hire which means that you, the, the writer actually doesn't own it you're writing it for me as a job mm-hmm. so um you know you, you you're getting paid x amount you know uh, it could be it could be uh, as ridiculously, embarrassingly cheap as fifteen hundred dollars to four thousand dollars, or five thousand dollars, or ten thousand dollars. You know, depending on what the budget is. Usually, usually a writer gets a screenwriter gets somewhere around like two percent of the budget for what for their script. You, you, I'm just saying in general, it's just mm-hmm. throwing that around. So two percent. So if you're making a hundred thousand dollar movie, the writer might may have got two grand, may have got four grand. Uh, depending on you know how generous the producer is. Me particularly, I'm kind of generous because. I'm a writer myself and I know how hard it is to do that, to write anything and then to have to turn it over, you know, but sometimes you have to do that in order to get, get it made. If you're, especially if you're an, an unproduced writer, you know, sometimes that's the best way to, to get started. I mean, you, you know, if, if, if you give me a script and you have no credits at all and, and I'm like, well, Hey, I can make this movie. We're going to make it for a hundred grand, but I can get it made. Yeah. It's, well, you're going to get paid a little bit, but you know, the, the production company takes it over. They pay you, they own the script, but we actually make the film and then that helps you, get, get another gig after, you know, that sort of thing. Um, right. but, but, you know, it just depends, you know, I mean, with the low budget stuff, you know, usually, yeah, it's usually kind of a standard case where it's 2% of the budget or, or, um, 
and usually the writer, it's a, it's, it's a work for hire kind of situation, you know? Right. Uh, and I've, I've hired plenty of different writers, all different kinds of writers. And a lot of times they use alias. Sometimes they'll use aliases for what, for their, for, <laughs> for all kinds of reasons. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. The other times they're, uh, uh, they, who knows, you know, what, 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 what it is, but, uh, uh, and, and you, you know, you, you, they, they usually have a very short amount of time to write it. So usually I tend to hire writers that can write quickly, but, but, right. but with quality, you know, so mm-hmm. I mean, like, for instance, so I just, I hired a writer not too long ago and, uh, I gave him, uh, I think I gave him a week to work up a treatment and then we worked out notes on the treatment. I think he had, uh, I think he gave him four, three or four weeks to write the first draft. So, uh, I think he did it in three, I think he did it in three. Uh, but I've had people do it in two, you know, and then, um, you know, and then we would, we would certainly do, do several other drafts after that. But the first draft, you know, because once you work out the initial story and, and the treatment and stuff, the, the, the drafting part of it can come a little quicker. But um, and that, that's kind of how that that process works, at least with, with the, some of the lower budget stuff. The studio level is a whole different ballgame, a whole different. It, 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 just ignore everything I say because it's a whole different. You're, de- <laughs> you're dealing with like executives and you're, you know, you're, you're dealing with a whole different group of, of, of people. So I'm, right. I'm speaking to you just as an independent filmmaker that has hired people to write films that have been made in the under 100, under $200,000 range in what a typical scenario may be like. So that's, that's right. what I'm telling you here. So it's not, so, don't, so if you're a screenwriter, you're like, Oh fuck, I'm going to have to look for two grand for the rest of my life. I'm going to be broke. And my, my kid's going to eat that sort of thing. Now that's not really, that's not the case, but if you're looking to get it, something that you have, that's already, you know, that, that, that you think could be good for a low budget situation. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could, you could do something like that. So, right. um, but yeah, I mean, I've had people, I get people submitting all the time for scripts. Uh, um, oftentimes they're just ridiculously too complicated or there's just way too many locations and way too many characters to, to execute, you know, uh, it's usually the case. Uh, but you know, sometimes people come in with stuff that's just really well, well written, well executed and it's simple, you know, and, and, and those are the ones that I tend to, to, to like as far as, uh, making on, on a, on a lower budgeted level, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so, so yeah, but, but, you know, if you have something that you're as a writer though, if you have something that you're, that you worked on for like 12 years and it's like your baby, don't sell it to some producer for two grand. You know, don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you. I mean, I would, if you gave it to me and I'm like, man, this is amazing. And I was like, you, you should be, you know, I was like, dude, I can't give you two grand for this. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I just, but I mean, you know, look, I mean, just, just, if you have something that's like really your, your, your baby, I mean, you don't. Yeah, hang on to it and don't just don't just let let it go for pennies unless you really unless you're part of the project and oftentimes i've made deals with writers too where oftentimes they 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 were producers so they wrote it mm-hmm. the deal was that they they're involved in the percentage of of the any profits if if any usually there's none because movies barely make money um and uh and, but they're, they're, they're more involved in the, the financial pie if there is a pie, <laughs> but often if somebody's always eating the pie and there is no pie and they're, they're <laughs> oftentimes there's no crumbs either from the pie. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but, you know, it's sometimes you can make, make arrangements like that. Sometimes it's 2% plus a percentage of, on the back end. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and you think it's a good way for people that are just like trying to get their start and build up some credits can, I think it's a great way to start. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's better 
if you're if 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 you're the writer and director because i think like when you if you're just the writer and you give it to another director they're going to have you got to remember this is an interpretive art form here we're talking yeah so so mm-hmm. it starts with you it starts with the it starts with the idea it starts with the writer it starts it's in that thing but it ends it ends in the editing room with mm-hmm. some guy like me that's going well, what the hell is all this dialogue let's cut this out you know <laughs> it, it ends it ends with the editor it ends with the director at at the end cutting, right. cutting your script down so it's like, let's get rid of this whole Indianapolis speech. Oh, this is crap. <laughs> Tell me about it, man. You see, you see the shit that I cut out of movies. <laughs> I mean, scenes that they shot and they're just like, this scene is so freaking boring. Let's just cut it out. We cut the whole thing out. We move on. Um, but, you know, I think, I think it, if you have the knack for it, if you have the personality to be a director and, you're, and you have a script that you're really passionate about, you should consider – Doing it yourself, you know, being the writer director, or, or if you, you do get a production company involved with it, that you, you, you are the direct. You, you, the terms are that you, you get to direct it, even though that's that scares producers. I honestly, to, it scares them a little bit because, especially on this level of filmmaking, because you know, to have a first time anybody when you need to pull stuff off in eight to ten days is very. <laughs> can make the producer very nervous because <laughs> it's like, you know what he's doing? <laughs> you know, that's a director behind the camera, that sort of thing. But, uh, but, but if, if that's the case, you know, Hey, you know, kickstart it yourself or something, go out and make it yourself. You know, there, there, you know, I've always encouraged people like, Hey man, look, if you got your, you got your own script and it's great. And you think it's something that you can do for a low budget, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing that says you can't go out and, and either what you could do. You could, yeah. Kickstart or whatever, you know, it's, it's a, crapshoot with that too but you know you could try to do some kickstarting you could maybe hopefully you're financially well off yourself maybe you could you know uh, uh sell your your ridiculous comic book collection because you're in your 50s now and maybe, <laughs> maybe you don't need to have that anymore and and uh sell your comic book collection like i think kevin smith did to make clerks and uh um you know ra- raise some money you know and and, and say hey i you know look i I can, I have a, I have 30 grand that I just, I can put into something, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, instead of that, that, uh, midlife crisis car, maybe I invest in a, uh, in my movie and you go out and do it yourself and you, you, maybe you produce it yourself and you direct it yourself and you do it. And I think, I think for me, that's always been the best way to do it is to kind of carve your own path with it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. because certainly it's, it, it's a little bit more sure that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't go into it without at least doing your due diligence and research and being about, about, about how to make movies. I mean, I mean, certainly, you know, you can read the books, you can read, you know, all you want, but, uh, ex- there's nothing like experience, you know, uh, and, uh, and you will get experience doing it yourself that way, believe me. Uh, so, so yeah, man, I mean, I, I don't know. I, don't, I think that's a good way to, to start. Um, and, okay. and yeah, so, well, can we can we move into post production because I know that's your sure. big thing, and I you know, um, I know you guys talked about it a lot on uh, Dave Bullis's, uh podcast, so I, I recommend everybody you know check that out too. But sure. I wanted to talk to to you about post production and um, you know what what are the important aspects of that, and what what do people need to you know plan for when they're beginning? You know, one of the things you guys even talked about was. You know, you have to have enough budget to do your post-production and, and, you know, you can't just put it all into shooting it and then, you know, expect to just like do the post-production aspect of it, you know, without any money. 
Uh, you know, I think yeah. people get kind of stuck with that, you know, that they, they do everything in production and they get to post-production and they've mm. run out of budget. You know? Oh yeah, totally. No, I mean, yeah, I can totally, totally give you some good, good advice on that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I think, I think when you, before you, look, before you get involved in your, when you start, when you're ready to start shooting your film in pre-production, you need to start thinking about post-production in pre-production because uh, everything – you kind of almost have to kind of work backwards. I mean certainly even from distribution. Uh, I would say – I always say start start from where you want this film to end up. So if you're like, OK, I want this film to be theatrical. OK, well, if you want it to be theatrical, you probably shouldn't be shooting on your phone. You know, you might want to – you might want to – even though that's happened, don't get me wrong, but – if you really want it to, to be a theatrical release or even have the possibility of being a theatrical release, you want to start deciding on your, your, uh, your cameras, you know, and say, okay, well, maybe we should shoot with the Alexa. Maybe we need to shoot it 4K so we can get a, a 4K DCP uh, that we can take out to, uh, to screen in theaters and so on and so forth. So you, 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 and you start thinking about your deliverables like, okay, um, we, we want to be able to sell this foreign. We want to be able to, you know, do a full delivery on this to everywhere. Well, okay. That's that's great. I'm glad you're thinking about that in pre-production because what you're going to need to do is you're going to is like I said you're going to think about what camera you're shooting on. You got to start thinking about um, your your how you're going to you know because you need to budget that stuff out. Like hey, we're going to need M and E tracks. We're going to need 5.1. We're going to need 5.1 M and E's. We're going to need uh, uh, we're going to need to do the stems. We're going to need to do closed captioning. By the way, um, you can't even get a movie on iTunes unless it's closed captioned. Um, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, you, uh, uh, you really need to start thinking about that kind of stuff early on and budget for it. Because by the time you get to post, people are like, what? You mean I got to have that? How much is that going to cost? Oh, I got to do 5.1 M and E. What the hell is that? You know, I got to do, I got to do what? You know, I got to do, <laughs> I got to do QC. What the hell is QC? You know, that sort of thing. And how much does that cost? Oh my God, that costs like $500 to do that. And all of a sudden you're, you're, you're just like, you're overwhelmed and then your movie doesn't, your movie doesn't get finished because you couldn't sell it because you didn't, you weren't able to deliver it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Mm-hmm. And if you're not able to deliver your movie, you're in trouble, man. I mean, you're going to spend, you know, you're, you're because you know these guys aren't going to wait around forever. When you get a distrib- when you get a distributor on the hook, and they say, "We like your film; it was really good. Uh, we want to make a deal with you." Blah blah blah. And then you start looking at the contract, and you're like, "Oh my god, I can't deliver all this stuff. I didn't shoot on set stills, or I didn't shoot, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do this, and or it doesn't pass QC because it has to, you know, normally has to pass a QC process, and you have all these post issues, you know, with God knows what, you know." Uh, and they, they, they're like, Hey, you know, look, we, you know, we're interested in your film, but if you can't pass QC and if you, if it's not, if you don't, if you can't deliver what the contract says that we need as a delivery, we can't, we can't take your film. I've seen that happen so, several times with people, you know, they, they, their movies just undeliverable. It's not right. that it was bad. It just, they couldn't deliver it the way the distributor wanted it. So the distributor had to pass on it. What would cause a, a film not to pass QC? Oh, so many things. Uh, so many things. Actually, it's one of the things I, 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 I have a, a really good chapter, probably one of the only ones that are in print, I think, in a book about, about uh, uh, the whole sort of the process of, of delivery, you know, mastering and delivery and all that stuff. And I have a little bit in there on QC. And QC, for those of you who don't know, is, is quality control. Um, and uh, it's, it's a process. It's a very subjective process. Um, and what happens is 
your movie goes to a lab. Let's just say like, like, um, I don't want to mention any lab because <laughs> talk to me after this. No, um, you, you say your movie goes to a lab and you, it, for a QCing process, what they do is they take the master and they, they run it through the ringer. They, 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 they look at the, the video, the, the, the levels, the, Gamma, um, all, all these things, they run through a machine and, and, and they run it through this machine. This machine will say, oh, this movie's out of, uh, the, the, the gamma does this and there's, there's, uh, dead pixels on these shots and there's, uh, um, this shot is out of focus or there's a, there's a, there's a C stand in the shot. I mean, li- I mean, literally stuff like that. Like there's a C stand in the shot. You have to, that's, that's a QC flag. Or um, a, a dead pixel, which can happen, you know, on digital cameras sometimes. It's just a dead pixel in the middle. Very hard, you know, to get rid of those. Uh, sometimes, uh, if you're shooting on film, it could be film scratches, you know, all the way to uh, 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 stuff being out of focus and so on and so forth. And it's it's graded like a by a number system. So you have like one, a one, two, and a three. Like a one is like kind of they're just letting you know kind of thing it's not it doesn't won't cause you to pass two is kind of like not really enough to it's bad but it's not that bad three is like absolutely you have to fix this kind of thing you know so it's Mm -hmm. it's graded on scale and in my book i put in i think two examples of what a qc report actually looks like and ones that have passed and ones that have failed and they'll they'll pick out all kinds of stuff audio particularly audio they'll they'll pick out things like um the Foley is off or she has a bracelet on, but we're not hearing the bracelet, you know, on the M and E track. I mean, stuff like that. Lip smacks, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, just the most ridiculous stuff that you're just like, Oh my God, you know, what is wrong with these people? Um, so it, yeah, but it, but it's a very real and a very important part of the selling of the film process. So, and it's something, so it's like if there's just too many things in there, then you fail the QC chest yeah, or, or okay. It, there's only two outcomes to QC okay. pass and fail. There's no in between. If you fail, forget about your distribution. I mean, you have a chance to fix it. They'll say, okay, well, it failed, so you need to fix all this stuff. But if you mm-hmm. go back and like, I can't fix it. There's no, there's no way I can fix it. Well, you're probably not going to get the distribution deal that you just you tried to, to get because nobody, no distributor wants to take a, a movie that's failed QC. And certainly for TV, for television, you know, like my film Ghost Month premiered on uh, NBC Universal's Chiller TV. You know, it's a main television network. So mm-hmm. the QC, you know, but it had to pass a QC and it did because I shot it on 35 and I, I, I did the post. So I made sure it passed, but it had, you know, it had its, its share fair problems, but I was able to fix it and they weren't, they weren't too horrible. Um, but you know, is so, there, sorry, is there any way to test it yourself before you send it over? Or I mean, is there, uh, are there ways? Not really because it's subjective because uh-huh. you're, you're, you're giving it to a lab that, that's got some dude in there that's getting, you know, eight bucks an hour to sit there <laughs> and run it through a machine and yeah. and watch it and to say oh oh yeah it's the levels or the you know there's so there's really not a a hundred percent way to say you know yeah this is definitely going to pass QC because I, I I I did it myself but you you certainly can, you certainly can look out for things like and I can tell you firsthand you know if, if your shot is ridiculously out of focus it's probably going to get flagged. If you have a C stand in the shot, it's going to get flagged. If you're, if you're not, if you're one of the most common things is the levels are falling out of the legal 
you know, mm-hmm. so, so the legal, uh, zone for levels, but oftentimes that can be fixed with filters and final cut or Adobe premiere and stuff like you can add a filter to that and you can get the levels back into a, uh, um, a, what they call it, a legal, a legalized uh, area. Um, and, uh, titles are out of title safe zones. Um, that sort of thing. So there are some, there are things if you know a lot about post-production that you can look out for, like I can look at a movie and tell you if it'll pass QC usually, um, from visually audio, not, not, not as much because you, you have to really, they really have to listen to it. Um, and, and really QC like the M and E tracks and make sure like every, there's footsteps filled in and all of there's fully, uh, where it needs to be, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are different, uh, different labs or, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I've, I've had stuff that they've told me to fix and I went back and said, yeah, I fixed it. No problem. And I didn't fix it. I was just, bull- <laughs> I was just bullshitting them. And then they passed it, and, you know, and it, and it happened. Right. Tw- it happened like two or three times too, because I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, I fixed that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that pixel that you said, yeah, I totally fixed it. And then they come back and like, oh, okay, great. And then they give you, then they pass. So that's why I'm saying it's a very subjective process. You can have it go. You can have it pass one QC house in the United States, and then you can give it to a foreign place that that QCs it, and you'll get a whole other list of problems that they did pay. So it's, it's a really weird, <laughs> a very frustrating process for a filmmaker to, to, to get past that stage. But, but I will say it is one of the, the big hangups for people, especially on low budget movies. Cause you don't really a lot of times have the money to get it fixed. So mm-hmm. that's one thing you really need to be careful with and, and, and watch out for. Okay. So can you walk us through the process? Okay. You know, just editing the film and everything like what, mm-hmm. um, what the process is, you know, are you typically editing as they're shooting or um, can you give me just an idea of how that yeah, all, you know, comes yeah, together? Yeah, quick idea. But I mean, typically, typically, no, I'm not, not, not really editing as they're shooting. Um, it, it depends. I mean, if I'm full moon, sometimes we used to do that when we were making puppet master 10 and stuff like that. Sometimes I would be editing as they're shooting. They would give me, cause I was just the editor. They would, uh, <clears throat> Charlie band would give me the, uh, the material on like a daily basis. So I'd be cutting as we're going and that sort of thing. Some, you know, so that, that, that can certainly happen, but sometimes if it's your own picture, um, you're not really thinking about that right now. You're probably just more concerned about getting it shot. So usually what happens is after you get it all shot, then you, then you, um, then you meet, you either, if you're not editing it yourself, you'll meet with an editor and, um, excuse me, you'll, uh, You'll go over with it. You'll go over with the editor. You know, kind of what what's going on. The editor will, you know, of course, get the script. Usually, what's called a line uh, a line script that they, they had. If you had a script supervisor on set, and they'll get an idea of what the coverage is like and what takes you like that sort of thing. If if you even had one, a lot of times with low budgets, they don't even have a, a script supervisor. Um, and then and then it's just pretty much up to the editor at that point. You have a conversation, a couple conversations with the director, and you stay and start cutting away. And then you just goes through a, a process of. Uh, of uh, you know uh, uh, an assembly and a, a director's cut and a producer's cut, oftentimes uh, uh, until you until you get it locked, and then once you get it locked, and then you you head on to sound from that point forward. Uh, but the editing process, though, um, one thing I will tell you, and this is another area that you really should uh, spend the money in, is um, look if you're a great editor yourself, fine. But if you're if you're just you know. A guy that cut a few commercials together or a few car commercials together, a Doritos commercial, is not a feature film editor. Um, you really got to look at who you're hiring as an editor because editing is is so important to the process. And I've, I've, I've edited 
so many feature films, man. I mean, uh, uh, over, I think I'm like a hundred and something now feature films. Not, I mean, a lot of them are uh, just blah, but I mean, the, <laughs> you know, the one, I mean, like, I mean, I edited for sci-fi channel and edited for people and, and I, it's just such an important process. Right. Cheat out of the editor, hire somebody that has feature film experience, not being a good experience. And, you know, uh, I'm losing you a little bit. I can't really hear you. You're you're dropping out a little bit. Can you hear me? <laughs> Are you going through a tunnel? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah. That's better. Uh, what I was saying is, be on on a experienced editor because in the long run, it'll really save you. It's just like having a really good DP or, or anything else because a really good editor can make or break your movie. They can. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I can cut a scene 18 different ways and get completely different meanings every time in the scene. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, so, so that's what I'm saying. I mean, an editor is just important. It's not just a matter of slinging together a bunch of coverage. That's not editing. Editing is a craft like anything else, just like, you know, cinematography, just like production design. And it's, it's the end part of your film here, you know? So, um, it's it's everything it's timing it's 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 uh, performance it's whether or not to show the knife yet or to show it at the end if i cut a scene and i show you the knife too early the scare is gone the scare might be gone but mm-hmm. if i show it at the end you know the scene could play a completely different way so that's right. an enormous amount of power to have over a movie as an editor uh mm-hmm. so that's why that's why i'm just really you know saying like hey you know it is an important part of the process and and uh, really get somebody that knows how to cut feature films together. And, and uh, uh, if it's yourself, great. But if it's just somebody with no experience, you know, I would really advise against it. So, right. so anyway, you edit after you get that done and you, and you beautiful edited thing together, then you can move on. Then you lock the picture, which means no further changes um, to, the, to, the, to the picture. Uh, and then that can be given at that point over to uh, the sound department and the sound uh, starts in the co- and that's also when the composer usually starts and CGI and everything else starts at that point, titling and all that. Right. So are you able to have like composers for these? I mean, is that something oh, yeah. that fits within the budget? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my wife's a composer, so I'm lucky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about yeah, that. She's, she's, uh, she plays for guitar for Blue Man Group and, uh, she's also a, a composer, um, film composer. She, she scored a lot of my, my films and everything too. So uh, that's convenient. So, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely a convenient relationship. Right. Um, so yes, compo- and, and, and let me, let me tell you here too, because this is also extremely important. Um, one of the one of the things that's very that seems to be like a a, a plague these days because that's what I... Danny, you there? I can't hear you. <laughs> Let me try to call him back. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, we're back. There hey. we go. Just keep going. <laughs> okay. You want me to call you back? Is it okay? Is the connection okay? Yeah, the connection's good. Oh. You were you were saying one of the plagues. Okay, maybe play is not a good word, but <laughs> one, one of the one of the real um, mistakes I think that that I see some filmmakers doing these days is is the the the, the use of music libraries in place of a, of an original film score. 
Now I'm talking, I'm not talking about trailers and, and I mean, look, I mean, if you trailers or documentaries or whatever, and you need to find, you need to pull a piece out or a song out or whatever. Okay, fine. Cause they, you know, libraries can have their uses for, for certain, uh, for certain things, for certain, you know, uh, corporate videos or, or, uh, commercials and, you know, you know, that, 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 that's great. But, but this is of course my personal opinion on the, on the matter. But, um, for me as a filmmaker, like I would never pull out music from a library. Absolutely not. And, and there's a reason for that. I mean, a, a, a music, a, a film is, is an original piece of work, you know? I mean, it's like a painting, you know? I mean, you're, you're, you want to have an original composer come in and do an original score to your film because your film is unique. It flows a certain way. It's edited a certain way. It's, it's, it has a certain aesthetic. It has a certain sound to it. It has certain instrumentation that you want to enhance the performance of the characters. You're not going to get that from a library. You know what you're going to get from a library? You're going to get the same cue that 19,000 other people just used in a car commercial and a feature film and something else that people just are using over and over again. So mm-hmm. it's really to your advantage as a filmmaker to hire a composer on your feature film and, and get an original score. The audience will love you for it. You'll love yourself for it. And there are lots – and it's not – look, it's not expensive. Lots of composers out there that are hungry, looking for work, that will even, even do it for experience just to, 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 to work on it sometimes, you know, I mean, just, you, you just need to find those people and reach out to those people to do an original score to your movie. It is absolutely worth it. And, and do not cheap out on the music because I mean, even George Lucas will, will tell you that sound is 50% of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and it's true because, you know, we see with our eyes and we smell with our nose, but we hear with our ears, but since we're not in smell o vision, you know, <laughs> we're seeing and hearing. So it's like kind of a 50, 50 experience. So sound and sound and music and all that stuff is, is such an important prop, uh, part to your film. Don't cheap out on it. Do you use a temp track when you're editing or what? Oh yeah, just... no, that's fine. Yeah. Totally. Right, look, if you're editing, <laughs> yeah, and you're editing and you're, and you're using a Alvin, Al, Alan Silvestri temp track because you just want to give the composer an idea or something. Yeah, that's fine. But I'm just saying at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to, uh, certainly a temp, temp tracking is, is very common. Yeah. You, you, People are just putting in music just to get an idea, you know, when they're cutting, but the end result is something completely different. Uh, uh, so that's, 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 a, that's actually a good way to, 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 to do it. But when you, I, I have a whole chapter in the book about the music of horror films and I interview, I interview some amazing composers, you know, in there. I mean, John, John Ottman, John Debney, you know, I mean, just, you know, some great folks. Um, and they, I really get into it with them about that stuff. And I think it's very insightful for you to, for, for the readers, uh, to, to read that chapter on music and sound. It's really, it's really a good one. It's actually one of my, it actually, I think it is my favorite chapter in the book. It's very, it's actually quite extensive too, the interviews. Um, right. but, but, you know, but music though, too, I mean, you know, it's, uh, there, are, there are just so many elements to it, uh, between instrumentation and, 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 uh, and the overall feel of scenes and everything. Music really helps the audience it really helps direct the audience to the emotions that, that they want to feel in a scene. And, and, and for you to just like pull something out of your hat, you know, it's, 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 it's a shame. It's too bad, you know? And I think that it can be, you can really improve yourself if you, if you hire a composer. So. So do they come in during as the, you know, you, you lock the picture, mm-hmm. it, it goes over to sound posts. They're doing the, sure. the, you know, Foley and the designing and everything. 
does the soundtrack come in at the very, you know, after all that happens or is that yes. kind of going on at the same time? Well, well, sometimes, sometimes you can have, sometimes you can get, depending on your relationship with the composer, sometimes you can get, get <laughs> if you're married to the composer, yeah, married, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but if you, sometimes if you're, if you're like, before you even like on real evil, like I, I had, I had, uh, uh, the music, the music ideas before we even started, I had, um, you know, like I said, Hey, you know, I want this kind of style. And it was able to start kind of getting going on the music early on you before we even shot the film. So, I mean, I think sometimes you, you can, if you have that kind of a relationship with a composer, you can say, Hey, I'm kind of thinking I want to do this kind of thing, you know, maybe start coming up with some ideas and then mm-hmm. they can start doing that early on. But more, but what normally happens is this, you, you, you shoot the movie, you cut the movie, you, you lock the movie and then what, and then it goes to the sound stage, uh, the sound, a sound, uh, not, not, not an actual sound stage. I mean, the sound, the sound editing <laughs> process, uh, the music process, uh, stage right. of production. Um, and what, what you, the director does, what the director should be doing at this, at this point, uh, after, after the picture is locked is you need to, you need to, um, sit with usually three different kinds of people, usually, uh, your sound designer, your composer and your your CGI artist, if you have one, which a lot of times you don't, but sometimes you do, and you'll need to sit with them and talk about the special effects shots that you need to do. Um, but more commonly, you're probably on low budget. It's probably going to be just your sound and your music. So you, what you're going to do is you're going to sit with your you're going to hire a sound um, a, a sound uh, designer and a sound editor, and they're going to you're going to you're going to do what's called spotting. You're going to spot with these guys. You're going to you're going to watch the film from beginning to end, and you're going to give them notes. You're going to say, "This scene, I would like to hear metallic sounds coming from there, and I want more of a bobcat growl on the monster, and I want this and blah blah blah." blah. And they'll just make notes as as you're going along, and you'll and it'll it, it, believe me, they'll thank you for it because it, it helps them, saves them time, saves you time everybody's on the same page of what kind of sound design you're looking for. Then you do a spotting session with your composer and it's the same sort of process, but you're talking more in terms of music. You're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more like, you know, I, you know, depending on how detailed they, they get with you and what your understanding is of music and how it works, the conversations can be very detailed and they can be very generic. They can be very, um, very much like, well, I don't know. I think there should be some music here, but I'm not really sure what, and then the composer will say, okay, cool. I'll do something there. Um, but I have a, I like, I have a little bit of a music background. So when I talk to my wife and about composer, we, we have um, like a nice conversation about like, I don't know about, you know, the horns and the, you know, maybe the D minors better, or maybe some piano work here, that sort of thing. So it's a little bit more detailed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in general, when you're talking to a composer, it's better to give them, give them the emotion that you're going for in the scene. Like this scene is sad. This scene is scary. This scene needs, this scene is, is a really big moment. And I don't want to hear any music at all until we see the knife at the end. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You know, that kind of direction for your mm-hmm. composer. And, and, and again, the composer will thank you for this. <laughs> and they have a, a clear idea, clear direction of where they're going with that. And then the same thing happens with the CGI. You do the same thing. I, 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 you sit with them and you spot it and you tell them what kind of special effects you want. You know, I want it to glow and I want the guy's face to morph into a lizard or whatever it is. And I want it to be green and that sort of thing. And, uh, and that, and that's really kind of in the, in a, in a really quick nutshell, the, entire part four of my my book and that's, that's kind of what you, you what you got to do there at that stage right um, 
And and I are go, there any typical mistakes that you see? Like if people want CGI in a scene, are there any things they need to like make sure they have for you to to do that? <laughs> Absolutely. That's the that's the last chapter actually. It's pitfalls, <laughs> pitfalls of post production, and there are many. No, but but to answer that specifically, um, yes. Uh, the uh, oftentimes, like I did a lot of movies that I that I've had come in had uh one of their biggest problems is shooting the wrong plates you know like they they think that oh well we'll just remove the background and we'll just throw some green some green shit behind them and then we'll take it out in after effects and uh, it'll be great and then they come in and then then, i mean i've had that stuff come into me and it's like yeah just take out his take out the background i'm like guys you didn't light the freaking green screen right you just put up you just like put some green cloth behind the guy You, you got him too close to it He's casting a shadow on it. How am I supposed to pull him out of that background and make it look believable? You know what I mean? Like that sort of stuff. That happens right. all the freaking time. Um, or, you know, somebody will be in front of a green screen, but they're wearing like a green shirt. You know, it's like, who <laughs> shot this, right? You know? And, and, you know, it happens, man. I mean, and, and uh, uh, you know, just little things like that, you know, there, there's, uh, and there's, you know, there's plenty of books out there on green screen, uh, uh, too, if you're, if you're doing green screen work. But that's one of the big things I see coming in is people that want to do green screen work on the low budget level, but they don't shoot it right. Uh, they shoot it very, uh, they, they think just because it's green, that's good enough. And it's not, believe me. Um, there is, uh, there is a very, special way to do that to get it looking good and you know and it can be a, a million other things too bad sound is also a very common thing you know just you just had bad sound on set and nobody seemed to notice and now it's a big problem or um, um if there's voiceover make sure you get it recorded on set if you can um because the last thing you want to do is to be having to bring back actors uh and especially if they have to do adr and replace their dialogue over bad over badly recorded dialogue it it looks terrible first of all most of the time and oftentimes they you lose the original meaning of the performance that's what i'm saying right um so uh i mean it, i think it was kubrick that didn't do adr at all because he was like totally opposed against it at least i think that's what i heard from uh <laughs> full, full metal jacket or something like that they wouldn't do adr or something like that right. and, and, he, and you know and I'm with him with that. I'm just like, it's like, it's, it's like, man, you know, ADR sucks because it's like, you know, there's a magic that happened on set. And when you have to replace it in the studio, it's just not, it's not the same. It means not the same. Yeah. So you get it done at camp. So yeah. So I mean, there's, there's other things, you know, slating is a big issue a lot of times for, you know, people that just horrible, horrible people that just don't <laughs> slate, you know, and like, what's wrong with you? Um, slating is, is just inexcusable. You really need to do a good slate for the editor and for your own sanity. And there are apps on the iPad and the iPhone. Um, I can't, I I mentioned them in my book, but I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. I think it's called movie slate or something like that. Mm -hmm. Just look at on the iTunes store and I think it's like 20 bucks or something. And it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's just an an iPad or an iPhone app, and you just put the iPhone in front of the camera, and you just click a little button, and it goes click like that, and it slates it for you. You know, right. so it's a it's a good high tech way to do all that stuff. You know, um, now when you're when you're dealing with uh, these higher end cameras, I do you have a high end audio track that's going into the camera that you've got, or are you still just having to sync all the audio? Um, well, what I do this is what, what I do is. Um, I make sure that my sound people are doing two things that one, one, they're running a line into the camera. Okay. 
Um, so you're getting it recorded on camera, but they're also running it to a backup, a high quality backup that, mm-hmm. that is usually running into a, a recorder that is, that can record it at way high quality, a way higher quality than the camera actually can. Right. So usually the audio sounds better on their recorder than it does on the camera. So what I do is I actually resync, I resync the film. So I, I, I bring it in. I use the, the, the audio that they, that they did, that they recorded on their, uh, their, um, uh, their high end recorder at higher bit rate, higher, um, um, uh, like I usually do a 90, uh, I usually do like 96 K 24 bit recording, mm-hmm. super high quality audio. Right. Um, and then I resync it with the, the, the material, um, uh, that way. Now, is that the most common way? No, most people just take it right off the camera and oftentimes that's fine. Um, so, you know, you, but, if you take it right off the camera, it's always a good idea to have a backup too, you know, because if the audio's fucked up on the camera, I had a movie that came in one time and I kid you not 50% of the movie, they thought they had the audio on the camera and it was all distorted because somebody didn't set the level right going into the camera. So mm-hmm. he was monitoring, he was monitoring it okay through his mixer, but the output from his mixer going into the camera, the camera was set at a different level. So it was distorted. Everything that was being recorded on the camera was distorted and there was no backup. So everything <laughs> that came in, it was <laughs> like that the whole time. And they right. were, they were totally devastated, totally pissed, fired the fucking sound guy. And, uh, and it was, and we had, they had the ADR like 50% of the movie and it looks terrible. It's, it's dreadful. Yeah. And because you couldn't even hear what the guy said to begin with, because it was <laughs> you couldn't even tell what he was saying. You had to look right. at his lip, you know, versus like normally ADR, at least if it's bad audio, you can kind of hear what they said to match it. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's a big problem. Sound is a, is a, is a big problem in post. So pay, pay, pay a lot of attention to that and you won't be sorry. Do you typically have a, a lav on every actor and the boom, or how is that like set up uh, yeah. usually? You know, one of the most difficult sound sound shows that I directed was Real Evil, and the reason for that is like they're swinging around 360, running down halls. It was in, it was it was actually one of the most difficult technically to shoot, uh, and a lot of that has to do with the camera, the sound, the audio, and we, I was hiding in drawers and. <laughs> and laying on ground, the ground. I mean, I was hiding all over the place. Uh, but sound on that was very difficult. And I knew it because I have the post experience. So I told the, the producers. And so I said, hey, man, we, you got to hire this sound guy, this one sound guy I've used before. And I said, you know, he's got the gear. We need to lab all these actors. You need to run uh, the audio uh, into this mixer and all this stuff. Otherwise, we're going to have a, we're gonna have a, a clusterfuck in post sound-wise. Luckily they listened to me and we, so yeah, real evil when, you know, we, everybody's got a lab on, they're running around, the sound guys ducking around in rooms and whatnot. And, uh, and that's kind of how that was made. Uh, you know, but usually it's, usually it's just a few labs and uh, a boom, you know, and, and it's, and that's, that's plenty for what you're doing. But you know, when you're found footage is a little, a little harder to make because you're, because of the, you're not shooting in just one direction and then you can move the cast and crew and video village all the time you know you're swinging around 360 you know seeing everything so and it was also a lighting challenge too um so yeah labs labs is always a good idea <laughs> you get, in, a case, you in, in, in that do you have to light the whole thing like i mean do you light everything and just like start shooting or do you actually yeah. light individual stuff individual shots well, well since we were we were shooting in a practical location an actual oh. abandoned hospital we couldn't light from above now, Rec, 
the movie wreck mm-hmm. that that whole house that whole building that they're in that was a sound stage that thing they that's like a two-story sound stage that they lit from above so they could swing around no problem because they had lights already rigged now in our case we're shooting in practical locations so we had to hide the lights a lot of times um and then there was some story element, like there was this film crew shooting, so we they left the lights around and so on and so forth. And that was one of our sort of <laughs> cheap ways to try to <laughs> leave lights in the shot and sort of have some sort of meaning why they're there. Um, and and but you know it, for for work, but now we have to sort of pre-lock the scene so we can stand 360 as much as we wanted. And that's how most of that movie was was shot. But it was it was a difficult shoot, uh, technically speaking, uh, for a lot for those reasons. So, okay. Let me ask you one more thing about post-production. And, um, um, when you're talking about budgeting, if we're saying, okay, let's say for example, we're trying to shoot a, um, $50,000 film, Mm -hmm. how much of that is going to be needed for post-production? Like how much do you need to have to have, you know, an editor, sound mix and you know a score i know it's always different but just to give people kind of an idea uh a fifty thousand dollar budget yeah um well i would say i'd say somewhere maybe around i don't know maybe 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 70 30 maybe 70 for your for everything your production actors everything and then maybe 30 for your post budget you know possibly somewhere in that range maybe 35 maybe even 40 depending on what you're you're doing but i would say i'd say somewhere around 70 30 maybe it it could could work for you um because um is that ridiculously low or is it like on par (laughs) i mean i don't even know where that falls it's not it's not i wouldn't say i I, again this is this is going to be Everybody is going to be a different answer on that because I mean I have a lot of resources for post too, so I um it, it just depends kind of what you have, you know, what you have to work with, you know. I mean, editing software is incredibly cheap these days, but it's not the software; it's the person operating it. So, um, you know, you could buy Final Cut for three hundred bucks, but you can't really get a good editor for three hundred bucks, <laughs> you know. So, right. um, but if you're already a, a experienced editor and you can cut the film yourself and save money yeah you're gonna save five grand in your budget or whatever it may be um but i would say 50 grand you know you're not your 50 grand budget you know you're not paying um you know you're probably paying somewhere you know uh yeah i i would say somewhere maybe in the maybe like 60 40 to 70 30 30 30 and 40 being the the post end of things Mm-hmm. It shouldn't post shouldn't be as much as your production budget, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. production is going to be the, the, the chunk of the money is going to go to your production. All right. That's going to do it for today's show. Um, we, the, the phone kind of got funky there and, and, uh, we were having some technical difficulties. Um, and then we talked for a little bit more, but it wasn't really part of the show. So I'm just going to end it there. I want to thank Danny Draven for coming on the show. Don't forget to check out his book, the filmmaker's book of the dead. Absolutely the Bible of, horror filmmaking um, that, you know, go to Amazon and get it today because it's a really, if you want to be a horror filmmaker, there's like um, just tons and tons of information in there. Okay. So thanks guys. And uh, I'll see you on the next episode. I want to thank Jason so much for doing such an amazing job with this episode. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmMuscle.com forward slash 676. And if you haven't already, please head over to filmmakingpodcast.com, subscribe and leave a good review for the show. 
It really helps us out a lot, guys. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.